Welcome to a very special episode of Hot Takes Only. Willie and I are actually in the same place for once, but we're using separate computers because I'm an idiot and didn't think about the audio details and whatever. But this is our special Premier League preview episode where every year we go through the top teams and the small teams and everyone in between in the Premier League and get ready for what should be a really fun season ahead. A lot of change going on in the league, particularly with Arsenal. And with that, I'd like to welcome three very special guests to the show. Uh, My brother and a couple of his friends. Uh, Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. What's up? What's up? Your brother and his friends. We're happy to be here. (laughs) The only value we add to this podcast is a lukewarm and unbiased take on Everton. It'll probably be successful. That sounds about right. Uh, So, before we jump into anything, uh, who's going to win the league? Just... First, first name that comes to mind. Who wins the league this year? I mean, you know, honestly, uh, I like Liverpool's chances. I, interesting. That's not. I I don't agree, but I, I'm going to say City because that's it. It's City. It's Guardiola. City. That's not a. It's not a hot take at all. This podcast is called Hot. I mean, it's not, it's not like they've spent any money or anything. I mean, they only bought Mares so far for eighty million dollars. But you know, it's just absurd when you're spending like sixty million pounds on a you know depth winger slash inside forward, and you got Mourinho complaining about, oh, I'm not being given enough money to win the league, and it's like you want to tell him that he's like a total jackass because he is, but at the same time you're like, man, maybe he really isn't being given enough money to win the league, considering that. Man City can put up 100 points and then be like, ah, I don't know where we need to strengthen, so let's just drop $60 million on Mares real quick. Yeah, it wouldn't have been the first uh, first transfer I had in mind for, for City, I think, defensively. They uh, they need some help still. I mean, they were they had a good record last year, but you can't rely on Stones, Otamendi, and company because company's always hurt. Otamendi's a red card waiting to happen, and John Stones is just is, – he's John Stones. That's all you need to say. Yeah, but you know, in that system, the center backs need to be able to like play the ball and retain possession, right, and recycle possession. And so, you know, a you know six foot five proper center half who's going to grind his elbows into your ear, you know, isn't really what Pep Guardiola is looking for. I think the biggest concern for for Man City is that they they haven't signed any any help in the midfield defensively. I mean, Fernandinho has been really incredible, but he's 33 years old. And E.K. Gundogan, um, he's he's a good player, but you know he's he against the the better teams, he's not exactly going to break up the place. And so I think that, that that's an area of the field where they can be really vulnerable. And um, if they're too open, that can be exploited. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I still like their chances, though. Uh, as much as I want to say Liverpool is going to win the league this year, it's it. You know, I haven't been a, a fan for that long, but what it has taught me is that never get your hopes up, ever. I mean, even in 2013-14 when they were steamrolling everyone until Chelsea and Crystal Palace at the end of the year, uh, it's, I, I learned not to get my hopes up. So I'm hoping for the best, but at the same time, that the uh, the realist in me is also, it's don't don't expect too much. So, yeah, I mean... They're swinging for it, right? Like, I mean, the amount of money they're spending—it's—it's it's funny because a lot of United and City fans on social media are getting really upset that we're buying the league without realizing that 142 million pounds came from the transfer for Coutinho, 
And yeah. the net spend so far this summer has only been, I want to say, in the mid hundreds, as in mid about one fifty or so. Yeah. So it, it's it's not as bad as people are painting it out to be, and I think it's it's unfair. But they you know they are swinging for it, and it was funny. Klopp was asked, I think it was yesterday after the game, if he's expecting any more transfers. He says uh, whether they're going in or coming or going out or coming in. He said yes. Uh, he reporter asked, can you specify? He said no, and then they had a follow up question, and he just said maybe. So that's that's a nutshell of what Liverpool is working with. Uh, Klopp is just he's Klopp. Let's let's be real. <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot of the I think what you guys do a good job of actually is like getting a lot of value for the players that you sell, right? Like Ward for what you know, fifteen million or something like that. Danny Ings going for. 20 after basically doing nothing for two or three seasons you, know, you guys do a good job of selling players for value so it's like you, know, you can continue to spend the way you're spending at least in the short term but i don't like the thing is you guys aren't really s- saving anything for potential adjustments in january or for next summer it's like everything's going out the door right now because you know we're pushing for either a champions league or a or an epl win and that's half of the thing with, with FSG, too. They have a really good business model for players. They they tend to look at players that are a lot younger and develop, and that's why Klopp is kind of the perfect fit for Liverpool. But at the same time, they haven't really been spending money until, I, I want to say, last summer, uh, and then eventually the Van Dijk signing, the Kita agreement that was, uh, I think it was done in, in late July, early August uh, for this season. So that was technically last year's transfer. Uh, and, you know, obviously with Coutinho, that wasn't really... No, that wasn't FSG buy. I'm sorry. That was back in 2013 from from Inter, and then they sold him for it's a lot, a lot, a lot more money than that. I think anyone was anticipating for someone like him. But we can thank Neymar for that. <laughs> Isn't Liverpool's new goalkeeper a record fee? For yeah, a record for a goalkeeper around 65 yeah. million pounds. Uh, and even Klopp was mentioning uh, Jan Oblak at Atletico, and he was talking about his release clause being around 100 million euros and Klopp was like it's it's not all that bad which you know he's he's supposed to say that he's not going to come out and say yeah we spent a lot of money on a player so what i just you know is he has a job to do as a manager of the team as you know kind of the figurehead for the media so i don't know but to avoid spending too much time on the kind of you know the the big name transfers i think it's important we mention the the rest of them uh, the, there's been a lot going on, especially for newly promoted clubs, uh, Wolves in particular, and we'll get to Wolves eventually. Uh, but I want to throw some names out there, and I, I want you get, to get your sense of what you know of these guys. Because obviously, coming from the Bundesliga, these are players that I know pretty well, but I'm curious to, t- to get uh, you guys' take on this. So Max Meyer to Crystal Palace on a free transfer, which I think is an outstanding piece of business. Andre Sherla, I believe, is only loaned to Fulham. Uh, it might have been a buy deal. I'm not 100% sure on that. And Eric Durham to Huddersfield for not the biggest fee in the world. So Meyer, Sherla, and Durham to those clubs. Uh, your thoughts initially? Yeah, I think in terms of... Uh, I think Max Meyer is a huge um, signing for Crystal Palace. If he can ref- um, return to form... Uh, from the Bundesliga a couple seasons ago, he's going to be huge for Crystal Palace. And if you look at that team, um, they lost Loftus-Cheek, they lost Kabayi, um, Christian Benteke had a really bad season last year, and so they're really and Wilfred Zaha could be out the door soon. So they really need some attacking help, and I think he's going to step right in there, and he's going to make a huge difference for that team and ensure a good finish for this upcoming year. 
Yeah, and Crystal Palace, I mean, they also signed Kiate from West Ham, right? So it's like they're really looking to shore up that midfield with Kabaye leaving, as you mentioned, Loftus-Cheek leaving, Lee Chung-Yong leaving. Um, but I think a lot of the questions for Crystal Palace come down to, like, is Zaha going to stay? Are these signings, like, being made in preparation? They already expect him to leave, or, you know, is that still up in limbo? Would they, if he does leave, would they continue to bring in reinforcements? Because Hodgson has had some skeptical quotes in the media, at least about, you know, this being a season that they're just focused on continuing to survive and stabilize because, you know, financially between renovating the stadium and, you know, the large transfer fees that they're still paying off, especially to Liverpool. Um, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't saying anything that was like, we're going to invest heavily in the squad and, and push to improve on last season. He's basically saying like, let's just continue with more of the same and, and try to stabilize. Yeah, I, I think it, you make some great points with the business. It's tough to continue that kind of upward progression they showed uh, after a really bad start last season. But yeah, I think a Wilfred Zaha is one of the best player uh, attacking players in the league, and that'd be huge if they lost him. Him and Townsend are so, so dangerous on the flanks. And I think another thing with Crystal Palace is, I mean, last year they were really hurt with injuries. Um, they're going to get Scott Dan back soon. Um, Wilfred Zaha spend the time on on the bench. Um, so if they can avoid injuries, if they keep Zaha, and now with Kiyote alongside um, Milivojevic in the midfield, um, they have a pretty good defense. I just I still have some questions about uh, their attacking play. So uh, we'll, we'll see, though. I think that's a really exciting team to watch. They're always one of the more fun teams to watch. And on, when they're at their best, they can give any team in the league problems. And it's funny because when you mentioned Benteke, you think he's really good in the air, and you think of his days at Aston Villa compared to what he did at Liverpool, which was pretty much nothing, especially after Klopp came in. Uh, and you just wonder with Zaha and Townsend on the wings and Benteke in the middle, there's there's some kind of some sort of decent service into a player who really relies on that. And even we saw it last season, he, he had chances and he missed a lot of them. And it, I don't know if that's something you can rely on. So definitely to your point, Willie, it's, it's, it's not, I wouldn't be too concerned. I'd be, I wouldn't be as confident though. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think a a mid table finish for them, um, you know, should be about right. But I mean, in terms of Max Meyer though, I mean, if he can return to the form that he showed with Schalke, like this could be a steal for them. He could really shine and be, I mean, what do you guys think? I think he could be one of the better, you know, players in the league, honestly. Yeah. I mean, just a fun fact. I think I read that Zaha, like in, a, in games that Zaha did not play in, Crystal Palace secured a total of zero points. So That's an incredible wow. How important Meyer will be um, and a better season out of Benteke will be if Zaha goes. And the one thing with Meyer is I, I read he had been playing as a defensive midfielder for Schalke, and he is not, by any stretch of the imagination, a defensive midfielder, nor should he ever be. He is a your prototypical box-to-box midfielder. He, he, he cannot, cannot play defensive midfielder. And they used him in that role for 28 games and still, I believe, finished second in the league behind Bayern. You know, obviously, in the Bundesliga nowadays, you're playing for second, but, but that's still... It, I don't know. That is not his best position, position, and to see them finish as high as they did was surprising. So I think this is still really good business. I know he and Goretzka had been the subject of a lot of transfer talk coming out of Germany. Obviously, Goretzka had the transfer to Bayern, which makes them, obviously, I mean, I don't even know if they're favorites just because it 
the, the league's already won. They've already they've already done it. So, you know, we'll we'll see. But I, I think it's a great piece of business for Palace. Uh, obviously, with with a free, it's you know pretty low risk. What you know, don't pay yeah. anymore. <laughs> and and real and real quick, um, Guaita, um, they signed they signed a goalkeeper um, from La Liga, uh, and he had twelve shutouts last year. And Crystal Palace has also struggled at the goalkeeper position. I feel like goalkeeping is a big theme for this couple of coming seasons. So that's another area of the team that they really strengthened. So it's like they uh, they gained some player, some important players. They lost some important players. Not quite sure what we'll see going forward, but we'll see. Moving down, uh, we we briefly talked about Sherla and Durham. I think they're they're good transfers, uh, but I. I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't put too much stock in them. We don't really know what to expect out of Fulham. Obviously, with promoted clubs, it's you know it's one thing to play well in the championship, but to carry that over. I mean, last year was the first time we saw three uh, promoted teams all stay in the league for the first time in in I don't know how long. Uh, but it just shows you how how tough it is to to stay up once you once you get promoted. And uh, I think they're the, those signings are going to be helpful for for Fulham and Huddersfield respectively. Uh, but it, you never really know what you're going to get from them. I still think they're good players who have kind of fallen off the wagon a little bit in in the last couple of years due to injuries and just general form. Uh, but I think Sherla and Durham are going to add a lot to to Fulham and Huddersfield. Uh, one I did want to mention that it's not really a transfer; it's more just the completion of a of a permitted deal is uh, Martin Dubravka uh, to Newcastle. He was really good for them in the second half of the season when he came over from I believe it was the Russian league uh, but he's he played really well for Newcastle and it's just a good piece of business to get that locked down uh, the one name I did want to highlight for you guys especially the Arsenal fans uh, on the show Nick Ian and Brian is Jack Wilshire going to West Ham yeah man Jack's gone home to be a hammer he grew up as a hammers fan so it'll be interesting to see in there I think pretty much everyone knows Jack Wilshire is a you know, amazing attacking mid number ten type of player who has tons and had tons and tons of potential. Um, ton of that was ruined through a variety of injuries. It'll be interesting to see if he manages to keep putting together like consistent performances. I think the last season he had at Arsenal um, was probably his least injury ridden for probably five or ten years of his career. Essentially, um, I'm excited to see him play there. Frankly, like. It's certainly going to be less of a creative side than he's used to playing in at Arsenal, you know, with the, you know, hoofing the ball up to big Andy Carroll up top half the time. But, uh, you know, I think he'll be able to bring some much needed creativity to that side. And I think that, um, you know, it'll be just, it'll be a good refreshing look for him to kind of be, you know, a, maybe not a star player, but someone who's consistently looked at as one of the more technical, better players on the side than, you know, he was at Arsenal where he's competing against not only trying to get back on the field from injuries, but also having to compete against the likes of, you know, Ozil, Mkhitaryan, um, you know, Awobi, even Isaac when he's played at inside forward, or Aubameyang when he's played at inside forward. It's just, it's a tough, it's a tough go around there, um, especially for someone who's trying to, you know, work past and just get some consistency. So, excited to see him play. And even with oh. West Ham, sorry, Will, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I mean, you know, on, on the subject of Wilshire, I mean, how how good do you guys think a change of scenery will be for him? Obviously, we saw him at, at Bournemouth, um, but, uh, you know, for a guy with such high expectations and sh- that shows flashes of such potential, you know, finally, you know, changing teams and maybe taking a little bit of the spotlight off of, of him, like maybe this could be, if, he, if he's able to stay healthy, 
more so like he was last season. Maybe this could be kind of the start of something big for him. Yeah, I think well, so. I think it'll uh, definitely be interesting to see how he plays uh, on a team where he's, it, it's less of a crowded position. So he's had trouble in the past where even if he gets healthy, if he doesn't play spectacularly uh, immediately upon returning to the pitch, you know, he's just going to get pulled for Aaron Ramsey or another of Arsenal's, you know, crew of midfielders so it'll uh, at West Ham I feel like he'll be able to stay on the pitch have more time to work things out and hopefully be able to put together some more consistent performances without that crushing pressure of you know perform immediately or ride the bench absolutely 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 I mean it's interesting just you know I guess we'll probably mention it briefly later but Jack Jack Wilshire and I guess Theo Walcott were all were two guys which I just felt I mean, I guess you can't really blame because it was more of the injuries, but uh, I guess more so Theo Walcott was always a guy that I always felt he should have moved earlier. Um, I think he could have gotten more out of him. Yeah, I think you're seeing that at Everton right now, right? I think Theo's definitely had a bit of a brush of, breath of fresh air for him to be able to kind of be a consistent name on the team sheet as opposed to coming in and out, being a substitute, you know, maybe not getting consistent game time. And I think... I think it'll be the same for Jack. I think for me, it's a matter of does the system change and the you know decrease in kind of the quality of players around him end up you know with him having a bit of a Shakiri effect where he's you know not able to really put anything together. I think West Ham are a far better team than Stoke was, but you know if, if as a playmaker and as attacking mid, you know he's incredible at creating. But if you don't have quality players to get on the end of that and link up with him, you know he could struggle because you know he's not necessarily going to be that player who just produces like individual goals time and time again um so you know we're hoping we're hoping for the best for him um and i think it'll i do think it'll be kind of a a breath of fresh air for him to be one of the first names on the team sheet rather than you know struggling with rambo and mkhitaryan and ozil and you know having him be shoehorned into deeper midfield positions than he would typically like to play just so that he can get game time because he is kind of truly a attacking mid that likes to you know have the ball at his feet and likes to look up and try to create. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, I completely agree. That's actually a really nice transfer because the next uh, the next couple uh, transfers I want to mention are two players, uh, actually now three to Everton with the news that Yerry Mina has been has agreed to a deal with with Everton. I think just around. $35 million? Uh, don't quote me on that. But I will let you guys discuss this because you know what my take is on Everton and Everton players, especially what they did last year with signing a bunch of players with Lord knows what kind of money uh, and almost getting relegated and hiring Big Sam to avoid getting relegated, which you know ended up finishing in the top half, which I, I would I would say it's a good season for Everton to finish in the top half given where they were. But again, I'll let you guys discuss these transfers because... I really shouldn't be talking about them. Uh, it's Lucas Dina, Richarlison, and Yerry Mina to Everton. Uh, have at it. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, well, I guess, sorry, with Dina. Um, I, I think he's a great signing. Um, he's really going to slot. I mean, we'll see if, you know, he can push Leighton Baines, but I think he's going to be a great signing to that defense. And I think Everton's got a lot of questions uh, attacking-wise, but defensively, um, you know, we saw what Jordan Pickford could do. He really shined at the World Cup. Um, I think Michael Keane's going to have a, um, a, re- a real resurgence of a season alongside Jed Gelka and James Coleman is back from injury now. So in terms of the back line with him slotted in there, uh, that's a pretty good back four to me. 
yeah, I mean, they're adding some much-needed youth to that defensive part of their team. I mean, between Jaggy Alka and Leighton Baines and Ashley Williams, they were really putting on the years. And so they sent Ashley Williams on loan. They signed Dinya and uh, Mina. I think it's going to be good signings for them. I know that your opinion is that they were bench riders, but they were bench riders at Barcelona. And I think uh, if you're good enough to be a bench rider at Barcelona, you're probably good enough to you know, be a good player on Everton. That being said, I mean, they put themselves in some weird positions kind of with their transfers last season. I think they signed like three competing attacking mid slash number 10s with uh, Sigurdsson, Rooney, and Klassen last yep. season, which put them in a weird situation. And now they've gotten rid of Klassen on loan, I think, and then Rooney, obviously, to DC United. So looks like Sigurdsson is the last man standing there. Um, I think they'll probably, you know, need to really have a better season out of him now that they're not shoehorning him out into random, you know, midfield positions to, to get Rooney into his preferred spot. And then I think Calvert-Lewin will really need to have a better season because he played like 32 Premier League games and scored four goals. So yeah, going to be looking for more out of a you know, top eight team that's yeah. the, the main striker there. I mean, to add to your point, I mean, it's, it's, it's Calvert-Lewin, they definitely need more out of him. And uh, this is the second straight year where Everton had to replace their leading scorer. And at the beginning of the season, they really struggled uh, to do that. And, I mean, the, the, the Everton's got a ton of depth um, attacking-wise. I mean, you've got so many attacking players, whether it's Sank Tucson, who's going to be obviously the center forward, Walcott, Calvert-Lewin, um, Sandro Ramirez, Yannick Bellassi. Um, there's, there's a bunch of guys on that team that can produce. Um, the question is, Ray Charleston now, um, the question is, will they? Uh, on the subject of Ray Charleston, I think that um, he, if if this was a signing from a big club, it would make sense because he's twenty. I think he's twenty or twenty-one, yeah. and he's shown in in flashes. He's shown himself to be very good, but for a club like Everton, I don't know if it makes sense. But so the question is, which of those guys are going to step up? Um, because there's a lot of question marks on the attack there. I think it's I think it's funny that they signed Richarlison because you know I think he was probably one of the bright bright parts of Watford last season. Obviously, uh, you know Silva going and poaching him from his own club from his old club Watford, bringing him over to his new club Everton. But um, you know him being a very pacey, direct, exciting uh, winger, and but with some inconsistency in finishing on the left, basically. It sounds a lot like Walcott 2.0. Yeah. Pairing right. him with Walcott out on the right, who, you know, we, our Arsenal fans, spent many a season talking about how uh, Walcott is going to, this is his breakout season. This is the one where he really finds his consistency. This is the one where he finds his finishing. It's just, it's ironic to see basically the exact same narrative over on the left now, you know, eight years later. Yeah. No, I, absolutely. Um, and it, I think Theo Walcott, we're, we're hoping for, um, certainly research and season. And um, we should mention, too, that um, a lot of people are very high on Marco Silva as a manager. Um, they saw, you know, Everton tried to get him early last season when Watford were, you know, there was a point where they were in the top four the first couple months of the season. Um, but we haven't seen him, uh, whether he's there or he's at Hull City, really perform, I mean, get his teams to perform for a full season. So I'm interesting to see, you know, Everton experience peaks and valleys, like what Marco Silva is going to bring over a full season. Yeah. Because if he's the manager they say he is, I mean, I think the top six is, there's a gap between the top six definitely and the rest, but maybe he is just the guy for Everton to play 
both a good style and skate results. And I mean, Marco Silva, you know, he'll need to show some loyalty, right, to Everton to really like build this if if it's going to be a project because, you know, between him leaving Hull when they got relegated because he wanted to stay in the Premier League, Watford picking him up, he has a few good games at the beginning of the season with Watford, Everton then starts piquing his interest when he hasn't even completed a full season with Watford. I mean, when they when Watford sacked him in January, they even came out and publicly said, you know, he was too distracted by the offers and approaches from Everton to perform as the manager of Watford. Like, that goes to show kind of maybe a lack of professionalism on his part and certainly a kind of, you know, shiny new, shiny new teams can catch his eye at a moment's notice. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, he, he's going to need to win over the players and maybe, you know, now the fact that he's got Everton, which... I would say when you compare it to those two is, is a step up. Uh, maybe that'll show something. And, and in return, you know, like they've got to be patient with him. You know, they sacked DeBoer, what was it, four games into the season last year and bring on Big Sam. So um, there's going to be some growing pains, but they've got to be willing to, to stick with him. And I think that um, if they do, uh, this could be a decent season for them. In theory. But I just want to throw out there, Richarlison hasn't scored since November 2017. Uh, I think it was the end of Dece- November, thankfully, but uh, just five goals in 30-plus games. Obviously, there's a lot of potential, and we saw that in flashes, but it'll be interesting to see how he adapts that to a bigger club like Everton, who will uh, will have a tall task ahead of them to not have go through what they went through at the beginning of last season because uh, it, it was it was not pretty at the beginning of the season, and it that that's all I'll say on that matter. Moving on to uh, the last couple names we want to mention in these, want to flag in these transfers. Uh, Elianusi and Vesterard to Southampton. Willie, I believe you, you added those to our little our show notes, so I want to let you take the floor on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, because I know we're going to mention some other teams uh, in the mid-table later. I do want to mention Southampton. Um, I think these signings, um, they may kind of be flying under the radar, but I actually think they're, they're, they're big. Um, for Southampton's a team that really struggled on both ends of the field, both attacking and defense last year, despite having a lot of talent. Um, so they lose Tadic to Ajax. And so Elianusi, another Basel product, comes in there. And that was really important to kind of uh, keep that attacking flair there. And I think when you combine him and um, Charlie Austin spent some time on the injury list last year, but um, when he's healthy and with Elianusi there, um, I think that because they had a lot of problems in terms of the guys like Shane Long, like really underperformed. So if they kind of perform more to the mean, they should get more goals because they they, they can create chances. And then Vestergaard, um, Southampton also really struggled on defense. And they have a lot of guys with pace, but Vestergaard is, comes from um, Muchen Gladbach, and he adds just this, this physicality and toughness. Um, and he was a proven player um, in the Bundesliga, and he's the kind of defender um, to go along with with hope um, that they signed, I believe, the season before last, um, so they could perform a decent partnership, and so he's the kind of guy that they need to really um, to sure up that defense. Because I don't know about you guys, but I would say of the teams uh, that stayed up, Southampton probably performed the worst relative to their potential. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Southampton's known to be you know a team that plays good football that regularly produces quality players that are subsequently stripped from them by bigger clubs. Um, and <coughs> Liverpool. <laughs> yep. You have that kind of turnover 
on a regular basis. I mean, you're kind of almost bound to have seasons like this where things just don't come together. I mean, they barely escape relegation, right? Um, but I agree. I think they're rebuilding. Um, and I think that, you know, it's, it's funny because they tended to show flashes of the old Southampton and what they're capable of when they played against Arsenal. Like, we were pretty used to getting, you know, ripped apart by uh, Charlie Austin and Shane Long. So, you know, the, the guys, they, they can still put it together when they want to, especially against us. But I think that um, they're going to need to be able to find some, some level of consistency to kind of get back into the you know, top 10, which is where I think they belong and where I think kind of the brand of football that they play belongs. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, for, first of all, like you said, they have a lot of potential when their things are right. And with Mark Hughes there, um, you know, he, he's going to try to, probably channel that team to just play better defense so yeah going forward and another guy like so combined with the manager influence and those guys and also another guy i should mention is cedric really underperformed too really good right back so um i think southampton is a team that you know there's a lot of talk there's lots of talks about you know wolves and and all all, all these other teams but southampton's a team that i mean i could see them finishing seven if they get it right so you know, that, we'll see. That's a pretty big call. I don't know. Uh, seventh might be a little high, but I, I think, you know, higher than certainly higher than what they finished last year is is not out of the question. Uh, before yeah. I move on, really quickly, I, I do want to mention uh, Wolves. We I think we talked about them briefly uh, before we kind of ran through the rest of these transfers. Um, but they they have been bringing in player after player after player, and it feels like they have signed the entire Portuguese national team. Minus Cristiano Ronaldo and obviously a couple others like Bernardo Silva, uh, at, at least the the national team from from years past. Obviously Rui Patricio, who had probably the best tournament I've seen from a goalkeeper since I've been watching football uh, f- uh, at the Euro 2016. Uh, João Moutinho, kind of an older player but very experienced. Uh, Raul Jimenez from Benfica, Benica Fobi from Bournemouth. Uh, it's it, I don't know. It feels like it's just flying under the radar. For for a team that just got promoted, uh, and it'll be interesting to see what they what they kind of do with all that. Honestly, I think we need to to scale back the excitement on Wolves. Uh, like in terms of, there's a lot of people in the media right now that are they're very high on Wolves, like rightfully so. They really dominated the championship last year, but the Premier League is a whole different animal, and all the the talk out of the media is that they're going to be just fine and, and be a mid-table team. Um, you know, the two Robbies on uh, uh, Robbie Musto and Robbie Earl, I heard them the other day. They were, they were talking about um, how different the Premier League is. And uh, the fact, for, for example, even defen- defensively, how any mistake that you make in the Premier League is going to be punished. Or in the championship, that only happens 40 to 50%. And so... Wolves certainly have a lot of talent, and like you said, they've been adding players, but um, I think we need to see them play first in in the Premier League. Yeah, that's definitely something we'll have to watch, but it just looks like on paper they're doing... It it could go either way. They could pull an Everton from last year. Obviously, we've talked about what Everton did last year. Uh, Or they could could do really well and finish the top half. It's just one of those things that we're really excited about. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Will, I think Owen really appreciated your NBC plug right there on the uh, the two Robbies reference. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm the plug. I'm the plug. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, so uh, on the subject of newly promoted teams, uh, 
obviously the three Wolves, Cardiff City, and Fulham. Uh, which one of those three do we think is is kind of the you know the team that's going to or has the best chance to to have the highest finish in the league? Ooh. Uh, I mean, I, I I would say Wolves. Um, they're they're the most attacking. I mean, they're the they're the best team out of those three. Um, interesting, a little interesting to see Cardiff City. I mean, with Warnock, they're going to play a bunch of long balls. But um, I, I do think Wolves. Like, I think that they could prove they scored a lot of goals, but I think that they could prove like that they need really like an elite out and out striker to maybe help them. But uh, out of those three, I, I would say Wolves are the most likely to succeed. Yeah, I'm going to go with Fulham on this one. Uh, if you just look at the, t- the guys that they brought in, I mean, they brought in Jean-Michael Siri, who was attracting interest from Chelsea and Barcelona. They brought in Sherla from Dortmund. They brought in Mitrovic from Newcastle. They have Sessegnon, who's probably the most exciting young player coming out of the English leagues right now. He's a really great goal-scoring winger. Um, he put, a, put together 15 goals last season, so I mean... You just can kind of see what they're trying to put together as far as, you know, having big Mitrovic up front, holding the ball up, linking up with Sherla and, and uh, Sessegnon kind of as the goal-scoring winner, wingers slash inside forwards. And I think, um, you know, I think having Syria as kind of that, that workhorse engine in the midfield is going gonna, is gonna to bring a lot of quality. So I think that they're going to be, you know, one of the teams for me to watch um, this season. And I think, uh, you know, beyond that, they also got like a, pound-for-pound pound best stadium name in Craven Cottage. <laughs> Game of Thrones vibe to that. So, you know, it, it'll, be, it'll be exciting. They're, they're Premier League mainstay, so it's, it's good to have them back. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with Nick on this one. I, I, I like Fulham's chances to, to finish, maybe not in the top half, but have the highest finish of the newly promoted teams. Um, they, it, it's it's kind of sneaky, the business they're doing. It's, it's not getting a lot of attention, obviously, outside of maybe Siri, uh, who is getting attention from Chelsea and Barcelona and a couple other clubs around Europe. Uh, but it, I just I just feel like they might have the best chance. Um, it, it's kind of a shame for Cardiff, though, because uh, as a Liverpool fan, it was nice to see Marco Grujic, one of our young midfielders, go out on loan with them and help him get promoted. But it doesn't look like he's going to be going back to them on loan, uh, which is, you know, you hate to see that. But I, it, I just I just like Fulham. And also, I got to plug Tim Ream of the United States uh, because America. Yeah, yeah that's true. Full America back in the day. That's right. Uh, Eddie Johnson, Brian McBride. Clint Dempsey. Exactly. What do you guys What do you guys think we'll see from Sessegnon? You guys mentioned him. I mean, he's. I mean, he could be. Do you guys think he'll be the the, the breakout young player uh, of the team this season? I mean, there's a there's a few guys in the league, but he's a really exciting player. Yeah, I think we were going to see him in the Premier League either way, right? If, if Fulham not been promoted, I think uh, you know somebody would have come down and, and swooped him up. I mean, he's got tons of potential. He's still young. You know he's going to have to make the transition to a physical, like league with a lot of athleticism. He has a lot of athleticism, but you know he's still so young. He's probably not at peak strength. So I don't think we'll be seeing 15 goals out of him this season. But I think um, you know between the style that it looks like Fulham are trying to put together, between you know kind of the the freedom of being on a you know newly promoted club with with less expectations and just you know him having that very direct style i think um he'll be exciting even if maybe the end product isn't up to the caliber that it was in the championship it's gonna be exciting to watch him for sure 
And obviously with with newly promoted teams, there is that risk of relegation of, of making it to the Premier League and just falling flat. Uh, and obviously of the teams that escaped or that escaped relegation this year, uh, there are a few that I think are pretty likely to, to actually get relegated. So of these five, uh, I just want to talk about who, who we think might be the, uh, the unlucky ones. Uh, so among Southampton, Watford, Cardiff, Newcastle, and Crystal Palace, uh, which one of those or multiple of those seem like the most likely to get relegated? Yeah, uh, th- I mean, it's, it'll be tough. I mean, I'd say um, I'd say Cardiff. I, I know they're new, um, but um, just when you look at the, you just when you just look at the, you know, Cardiff's a, a kind of a throwback Premier League team. You know, they play long balls, they play direct, they play with long throw-ins, um, and just when you look at, I think it's more when you look at the other teams when you look at the talent that Southampton or Palace has. I mean, you look at, you know, Newcastle, Rafa Benitez, I mean, that's a roster that needs a lot more. Rafa Benitez did such a great job to finish. Uh, um, would be the most likely to get relegated. Hold on, Will, sorry. Yeah. Say that again. I, I think your mic just cut out a little bit. Oh, okay. Uh, Cardiff. Cardiff would be the, the team out of those five that would be the most likely to be relegated. Um, and you, you were talking about Newcastle as well. Yeah, uh, Newcastle. They, it was an incredible accomplishment for Rafa Benitez to get them to finish mid-table, you know? And, you know, Rafa Benitez hasn't signed a contract extension because they haven't gotten enough help. That's a team that needs a lot of reinforcements. But um, I think he's such a good manager um, that they, they, I don't think that Newcastle is a threat really to get relegated, in my opinion, even though they at times hovered around the bottom. Yeah, I think it's a dangerous move by Cardiff to kind of – I mean, I understand – you know, they're not in the financial situation that a lot of clubs are. That being said, they probably had a huge influx of money getting promoted and really haven't strengthened with any Premier League experience. They're kind of going with the same team that got them into the Premier League to begin with, which, you know, while admirable conceptually, tends to you know, not always work out, especially when you don't have players who can kind of, you know, help the young guys who maybe did well in the championship, understand the new demands and new strains and just new expectations in the Premier League. So I think out of the, especially out of the three newly promoted teams, I'd say Cardiff probably has the most chance of going back down. Um, you know, as a, you know, not a big fan of Watford and Troy Deeney and co. I would love to see them <laughs> go down. Um, you know, they struggle to find consistency, especially after Everton started poking around their manager. So, and, you know, upon losing their best player, I would say, in Richarlison, I think, um, you know they could they could be in trouble. That being said, they do still have quality in other areas. So you know it'll be a matter of you know putting together a consistent performance both from the players as well as you know the new manager. Um, it's it's funny because just so many of these teams floated in and out of the relegation zone um, last season. It was just like such a kind of shit show of teams in and out fighting to sur- survive. You know, a lot of these teams, like a lot of them are going to be going in with the goal of just having a stable Premier League performance where they didn't have to battle relegation. So many of these teams, I think, you know, are just trying to find some stability with, you know, managers getting sacked, putting together strings of losses um, that, you know, it'll be interesting to see who succeeds and, and who actually ends up going back down. Can I can I throw another team into the mix that uh, on the, that hovered around the relegation zone, which I think will be will be in serious trouble? Um, I actually think even though they kept a lot of their core and they signed a lot of players, 
I think Huddlesfield Town is a team to watch or for the relegation zone. No, um, not Huddersfield Town, managed by David Wagner. No. I know, <laughs> I, I know, Owen, but this is a team that really, really struggled on offense. I think in more than half their games they got shut out, and particularly on the road. I think they, I think I read somewhere they only scored in in like six games on the road. And when you watch the way they play, sometimes you know they were under massive pressure. Um, and I know David Wagner, he has them you know, with a lot of fitness, and I know they brought in some reinforcements, but um, this is a team that uh, really at times struggled, uh, and so I think that they will again. Yeah, none of their players hit double digits in scoring, and I think they failed to score in 21 of their 38 Premier League games. They yeah. added a couple wingers to try to get more service up top, but I agree with you. If they, if they don't figure out the scoring situation, they're going to they're gonna be in trouble. Yeah, and I mean, because, you know, when they play in that that one striker up top's left on, on an island, you know, like everybody's bunkering in, you know, and yeah, they, they, they have to figure it out. Absolutely. And I, honestly, I think um, David Wagner is a, is a coach that I think we could see go pretty quickly if they don't get it together. So definitely a couple teams to keep an eye on as we as we look at the bottom half of the table. Um, and now that we've spent a good 40 minutes talking about transfers uh, outside of the top six and kind of the general outlook for those clubs and relegation, all that. Let's get into the reason we brought Nick and Ian and Brian onto the show is to talk about the top six team. We'll go from the bottom up. Actually, we'll talk. We'll start with Arsenal because I want to hear. I just want to hear the outlook from someone who's who's been through the the Wenger era until the last couple seasons of the Wenger era to now. So. Without further ado, Arsenal boys, what are we what are we looking at this season? You just had to rub in the number six finish, didn't you? <laughs> I mean, in fairness, in fairness, before we brought in Klopp, you guys were by far the better team, so that's I'll, I'll leave it at that. Can we can we really quickly before we get your thoughts on the players, just briefly hear uh, what your thoughts on Arsene Wenger were? Did you want to keep him? Did you want him to stay? The hard question, man. Um, yeah, Wenger was, you know. The manager for my entire childhood. Um, you know, I've watched some amazing moments with him, some amazing players with him. Um, you know, it's it's tough, I think, to truly rate him. You know, because you're bi- like I'm biased just because of almost how much you know happiness he brought me and supporting the team, and you know, just getting to you know all these inspirational players growing up between. Bergkamp and Henri and Perez and Youngberg and you know even workhorse underrated Ray Parler like his teams were amazing um you know I think to some degree he was a victim of his own success where you know he took Arsenal from you know a a high achieving but semi inconsistent club to you know for his first 10 years basically a powerhouse team I mean an invincible season Champions League final you know the expectations just got raised and raised and raised. And then, you know, with kind of between Abramovich buying Chelsea and then uh, Sheik Mansour buying Man City and the new money. And, you know, he, you know, he just, he, I wouldn't say necessarily that even he failed to adjust so much as Arsenal overall failed to adjust for a while. Um, and, you know, we weren't able to, his system really works better with like really top, top quality players pun intended there um and so, <laughs> you know, when you're struggling to be able to afford players because you're putting together a you know stadium or you know 
people are buying 18 year olds for a hundred million pounds. It's just you know, his, his idea of like really creative, really free flowing, you know, football. It's just, it's, it's not really going to help you achieve, you know, beyond your means. It's something that really like enables really amazing players to play at their peak. And, and we just, you know, that system just stopped working. Um, so, you know, it was really hard to see him go, but I think that there's a lot of excitement around the club right now. I think we brought in a really fantastic replacement. Um, I was a little bit skeptical at first, um, but you know, just the brand of football that Emery plays with, you know, still attacking, but a little bit more organized, a little bit more tactical. Um, you know, there's rumors about him being notorious for giving out hours and hours of game footage for his players to watch in USB sticks. Um, you know, it'll, it'll be a good kind of split from the Wenger style. Um, and it'll really have, I think a lot of players that underachieved last season playing at a lot closer to their ability because they'll, they'll have really strict instructions on how they need to play. And so, and additionally, like you said, Emery plays a a style, which I think is going to benefit them. But I also want to get your opinion quickly on just to kind of wrap up the Arsene Wenger era. I mean, you know, listen, we see, and I want to hear your guys' thoughts on these four signings, but we see that Arsenal brought in some new players. And, you know, one of the big criticisms of Arsene Wenger was his just refusal to spend money. And so I'm curious, you know, on what what, what are your guys' thoughts? I mean, were you, what are your thoughts on the fact that they were, he? I guess you could say prudent, for lack of a better word, with the spending? See, I, well, it's hard to say how much of that is Wenger's fault versus the rest of the front office. And I think only... Time will tell whether or not that stays consistent despite Arsene Banger being gone. But, I mean, if you look at some of the signings they were pursuing last summer, you tried to sign Mbappe for ungodly amounts of money, tried to sign Lamar for $90 million. So it, it seems like some of the you know desire to spend money was there. So hard to say we can put that all on Banger. For sure, for sure. So I guess back onto the the four the four signings. No, I think I think Ian might have had something on on Wenger or and and spending oh. before we before we go on to that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well. Okay. I guess we're going straight to the transfers then. Uh, I want to shout out <laughs> two players that surprise, surprise came from the Bundesliga. Bernd Leto, who I think is a fantastic signing for them, hasn't been. Uh, in the in the best form in in the last couple seasons for Bayer Leverkusen, but still a very quality keeper, one of the top three keepers in Germany consistently, uh, and Socrates Papastathopoulos from Borussia Dortmund, who didn't have a great season himself, but I think a change of scenery could do really well for him. So your your guys' general thoughts on the players you brought in? I know you're really uh, you guys really rate Terrera, uh, and I haven't seen a lot of his footage, but from what I have seen, uh, it, it it could be a fantastic signing. I'm I'm very optimistic so far based on the albeit limited um, uh, footage I've seen from the preseason. Um, pretty much every one of our our signings has at least um, uh, met expectations, um, and I think a, a couple have showed um, potential beyond what what um, most people had thought um, where they would be. Um, Particularly, Gendozi looks really freaking good. Um, could be could be the steal of the season um, for you know how much we had to shell out to get him. Um, that for me has probably been um, 
the, the one player that stood out to me the most. Uh, I'll, I'll let um, Nick and Brian chime in on that as well. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I'm high on all of these guys as well. And even if they just meet expectations, just addressing those positions of need is going to be absolutely critical. Because we saw bringing in Lacazette and bringing in Aubameyang after that, I love those guys to death. But at the same time, you know, we're just adding strength on top of, you know, what was already a, a decently strong position of ours. And so we didn't end up seeing much of a difference in just, you know, season-long results. So rather than continuing to add strikers, now finally plugging some positions of need, I think, is going to go a long way to shoring up a lot of the little problems that we had throughout the entire season, prevent, you know, some of those embarrassing losses where we'd go one nil down right at the start of the match and have a team park the bus against us. So I, I think, you know, filling these positions is, is going to go a long way. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to rate keepers. I don't know enough about the nuances of playing that position to really know, you know, whether you know, inconsistency is due to the you know, system the team plays versus individual mistakes versus coaching versus whatever. So, you know, I'm hopeful Leno was the right guy that we brought in. And, uh, you know, I think it'll just at, at the very least be good to give check some added competition because I just don't think Ospina was doing enough there. Um, on the rest of on the rest of the players, though, I mean, Socrates is like you said, he had an inconsistent season at Dortmund. Dortmund kind of had a poor season overall. Um, I think he has had he's been a Bundesliga team of the year player at least once, maybe twice. So you know the the potential is there. I think when paired with the right you know tactical system and center back partner, he's definitely you know got the potential to be really quality. I think he's one that the Arsenal fan base has had some questions over um, just because, you know, he maybe didn't have a glamorous season last season and he's not, you know, some 60 million pound rated center back. So, you know, I'm excited to see what he's going to be like under Emery's system. And I think um, I definitely think that you know, the, the potential's there. It's just a matter of you know, getting the right partnership because he and Mustafi actually have very similar criticisms between the two of them, of diving in, making rash decisions, maybe not having the best judgment. So typically when you have a you know an aggressive center back like that, you, you want to pair him with someone who's maybe more of a slower, more tactical positioning center back, like Mertesacker was with Koscielny. Um, so I don't know. I think it's going to be a big season from, cha- from Chambers. I think that's the guy who's going to be the best pairing. Um, so I'm hoping that you know he is – doing well under Emery right now, prepping for what is probably going to be a make-or-break season for him. Um, and then I think uh, Lick Steiner is going to be a great guy. You just brought him in as as backup on the right-back position. He's you know a known quantity. He's a veteran. He's got a mean streak to him. He's a little bit of a smack talker, likes to try to get in his opponent's ears, uh, likes to mess with the other team, likes to maraud forward at times. He's a you know pretty key player for Juventus. I mean, we're excited to have him. He's definitely lost a step or two from his heyday, but you know I think he's more there to really provide extra depth across all the different competitions we have to play in and really help kind of mentor Bellerin. So I think he's a great signing. And then you mentioned we're really high on Torreira. Um, I think we've been needing a defensive midfielder for a long time. People had a misconceptions about Xhaka and, and kind of what he was capable of. Um, he's not a defensive midfielder. He's kind of a deep-lying ball distributor slash playmaker. Um, 
you know, not that he can't go in with a hard crunching challenge and get a yellow card from time to time, but you know, he he's more of a distribute the ball upfield as his primary objective. He can kind of make tackles field as a secondary objective, and then having someone like Torreira, who's, you know, almost similar. If you had to kind of point to someone else in the league, you, you'd point to Conte, and just having an unlimited gas tank, being chasing the ball all over the field, making challenges, breaking up counterattacks, recycling possession. He's he's the right type of defensive midfielder to pair with Jaka, and I think um, you know he is really really highly rated. He had a you know great season at Sampdoria. He had a great World Cup. I mean. I think that he could really not only be a great player in and of himself, but really enable Xhaka and and uh, the defense to have a better performance this season. Um, and then Ian mentioned Gwendozi. Gwendozi. Um, I don't have a French accent to properly pronounce it, but he's a youngster, absolutely shining in the preseason. Um, he's kind of a box-to-box midfielder who's got great passing. He's got wild hair right up there with David Louise in the uh, the hair department. So <laughs> we're excited to have him. I'm going to, you know, it's preseason. He's young. I'm going to temper expectations because the Arsenal fan base is very, very notorious for, uh, you know, hugely overrating youngsters and then, you know, having meltdowns when they don't reach expectations or when they have bad games. So, you know, we'll, we'll just we'll wait to see how he develops and, and we're excited to have him and, and the fact that he was – identified by Sven, who, you know, as you know, spent years and years providing amazing youth talent to Dortmund, I think is a, you know, it's a cert, it's definitely something that gives you some added confidence about, you know, what he, what he's potentially going to become. So I want to ask you guys, um, kind of just a follow up to what you guys were talking about earlier, just before. So you guys are talking about Torreya and Leno um, and Socrates and, you know, Arsenal, I guess the the book on them last year is of the top six teams, they really did struggle defensively. And I, I'm curious to you guys, how would you guys sum up, um, wh- what do you think was the root, if you had to say, of their defensive struggles? Do you think it was mistakes from Mustafi in the back line? Do you think it was a lack of work rate in the midfield? Or, or do you think it was, you know, a problematic goalkeeping at times? Or how would you guys really characterize where where the d- defensive problems stem from, and how can the team fix it? I think there were problems throughout. I mean, God knows, Czech had uh, a number of unforgivable mistakes. I think he led the Premier League keepers in uh, in errors, so obviously that was a, a big problem, as Nick mentioned, playing Xhaka in a position that perhaps he's not 100% suited to also contributes. Uh, you know, Having to put in some inexperienced center backs is obviously not going to be an ideal situation, obviously dealing with uh, persistent injuries to Koscielny. So I think it was really uh, a lot of everything, you know, contributed to uh, our defensive woes last season. I don't know if I would necessarily point to a a single uh, defining uh, root of all those problems. But thankfully, I do think we did do something to address uh, just about every one of those issues. So hopefully, you know, we can provide stability at the very least, if not strength to those to those positions. So who yeah. do you guys think is the best center back partnership for the team now? Backline, backline in general, back backline. It's, it's very tough because, you know, I think our best and most consistent, you know, not only center back, but player in general for so many years was Koscielny, right? And mm-hmm. he's kind of seeing, you know, the injuries rack up. He's been having issues with his Achilles. You know, he's 
he's really kind of on the what I'd say is probably the twilight of his career as amazing of a player he was. Um, and, and, you know, to some degree still is, I think that it's going to be interesting to see kind of who it shifts to. I think, uh, Mustafi and Socrates are probably the next two names on the team sheet. But as I mentioned earlier, my opinion is that they'll do better to be paired with kind of a more positioning based tactical center back. And I think chambers and potentially holding, are the guys who you know might be better suited to play that role with this Socrates and and uh, Mustafi kind of playing the more aggressive, you know, chasing the ball, diving in center back role. Um, so I would, if you put me on the spot, I would say that by the end of the season we'll see probably Mustafi and Chambers together. But I think in the beginning we'll probably see a lot more of Socrates and potentially Socrates and Mustafi together. All right. I just want to jump in real quick. Uh, not really transfer related or not as much tactically, but I do I do want to get a sense of what you guys think your your kind of expectations are. I mean, obviously, Nick, you talked about this a little earlier with Arsenal having high expectations for youngsters, but I think also there's this you know there's this sense at the club that this is a club that needs to be challenging for the title year in and year out, and the last few years of Wenger that just wasn't the case. So. Is it is it reasonable to to temper expectations this year, even with the changes? And you know, should they be should they still have title aspirations, or should they be, you know, tempered at least in the first you know six months of the season or so? I think you know. I think it kind of depends on what your definition of tempered is. You know, some people are screaming, "Why didn't we spend two hundred million pounds to try to?" you know, go out and win the league. And I, I do think that that's a little bit unrealistic with all the changes that have been made in the last year. That being said, I've seen other opinions that it's like, you know, stability is what matters first and a sixth place finish would be fine for the first season under Emery. And I don't think that's fair either. I mean, Emery's a, you know, he's a winner. He's going to go for it. You know, he's got to implement his system. So, you know, I'm sure he knows that there, it's going to take time to really have people performing the way he wants them to, but I would absolutely say that a top four finish is a reasonable expectation for us. I mean, we're getting a full season out of Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan. Um, you know, you've seen the Aubameyang and Lacazette partnership look absolutely dangerous at times. You know, I think we'll have a guy who's really up in the kind of top two or three goal scorers. I, you know, we haven't had that in a while. Giroud is an amazing player for us, but he, he certainly wasn't kind of the known goal scoring threat he would put together a few goals but there was also the expectation of Sanchez and Ozil and Ramsey contributing to that but I think we have a real like deadly goal scorer now both in Lacazette and Aubameyang and so I think we should we should certainly be up there challenging for you know top four and and potentially even higher than that so who do you guys think should start up top like assuming it's like uh and you can you can say whatever you think the preferred formation is but if it's a 4-3-3 so are you guys saying that Lacazette and Aubameyang are going to play together and then either Mkhitaryan or Ozil is going to be on one wing? Or what do you guys think is the best attacking lineup? I would like to see more of Lacazette and Aubameyang together. Um, okay. In your proposed 4-3-3, um, what, what I would think would work best is play Lacazette in the middle, Aubameyang on the left um, with you know, freedom to to make um, runs through the middle, um, and um, probably Mkhitaryan on on the right, um, or or Ozil kind of interchangeably. But would like to see that as kind of 
I'd like to see more of that because we, we, we had a, a few games last season. Um, we played around with that, and I think um, you know it, it, was, it was definitely promising and, and definitely uh, makes the best use, I think, of um, the, the like, core talents of, of those players. Okay. Yeah, no, it should be. Uh, this, this Arsenal team, I mean, you know, we never had questions about their, their defense. Uh, I mean, or their offense. But, I mean, this season, I mean, geez, this team could be spewing out goals, you know? Like, yeah, I mean, you look at the talent we had on paper last year. And, you know, it was uh, certainly, you know, you put those guys up against just really about anybody in the top six. But uh, we little mental problems like coming out slow every game or just seemingly being unable to find the net on the road. Uh, these are ho- hopefully questions that we get answered by bringing in a new manager, bringing in some veteran leadership on the team like Licksteiner, and you solve some of those issues and you get the talent playing you know, closer to you know, what you'd expect from them and you, know, you can start surprising a lot of people pretty quick. So and just to yeah, just to follow up quickly on one of the things you said though, the the road form was that was a shocker. I mean, I, I think they, uh, I think they won what was it one game on the road, and I, I'm just saying that because you know I don't know whether it was a a man like a, a team culture issue, maybe it was just a down year on the road. I don't know, but you know to get in the top four, that's definitely something to watch. Yeah, it was. I think it was one one game on the road in 2018, so in the second half of the season. Um, but it was it was absolutely atrocious, and it's funny because our home form was so good. I think it was second only to Manchester right. City. That you know, that's how we finished. You know, sixth was that we put almost you know a relegation worthy performance um, away from home over the course of the season, but you know a second place finish at home. Um, so I, it's it's weird because it's one of those things where it's like. It's almost a you know, self-defeating cycle where you know as soon as you start faltering away from home, you gain more confidence, start being willing to attack you more when they're playing you at their home, and that leads to more poor performances, which leads to people being more comfortable attacking you. Uh, so it's it's tough, but I definitely think um, you know with Emery, who's certainly a more tactical manager, more like detail-oriented. Um, manager who's going to make adjustments when he feels like he needs to make adjustments rather than just letting teams kind of flounder in the hopes that they figure it out themselves on the pitch like Wenger like to do. Um, you know, I think we'll I think we'll be able to pull that around. I mean, there's you know, some teams are better away from home. Most teams are better at home. I mean, we should certainly be spanking most of the league even away from home with the attack that we have. Um, you know, especially with all the teams that we talked about having struggles last season, it seemed like the only team that they didn't struggle against was us, and I think that that'll turn around this season. Yeah, that's very true. I also want to jump in, and, you know, this is unrelated to the attack. This is at the other end of the pitch. Um, I think with, you know, obviously, and, and, and with me following the Bundesliga as closely as I do, I think Leno actually will be more helpful than, than a lot of people realize. Uh, now, keep in mind, People talk about Carius, uh, Liverpool's now second choice keeper, and potentially leaving the club uh, as you know this kind of second rate keeper. But keep in mind, a couple years ago, before he signed for Liverpool, he was voted second best keeper, not just young keeper, but second best keeper in Germany behind Manuel Neuer, who was consensus top three keeper in the world. Obviously, he didn't play pretty much at all this season because of injuries, but 
Leno, I think it should be highly should be higher, more rated higher than Carius in in a lot of situations, and I think that's it's a really solid transfer. It's a good piece of business, and I think he'll he could do really well if if given the opportunity. So it'll it'll be something to watch. Definitely at, at that end of the pitch for Arsenal, which, you know, if you talked about that being the defensive, the need uh, for so long is to fill the defensive uh, issues that they've been having. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the issue is that when you look at situations like Karius, I mean, that's the re- those are the reasons why I just I refrain from judging too early on the goalkeepers, right? Because random changes in right. season can turn world beaters into you know, mistake machines and vice versa, right? And so, you know, we'll see what ends up happening. We brought in a new goalkeeping coach, you know, to, to go along with Emery and, and you know, maybe the change of scenery and, you know, having a, hopefully a better performing defense in front of him will really help Leno find his confidence again and find his, you know, top performing levels that he had seen at random points in the Bundesliga. So kind of segueing in, unless, Will, you had any last comments on Arsenal? Um, because I do want to get to the rest of the top six. Yeah. Uh, Your teams in the top six? <laughs> teams not named Arsenal and Liverpool? What? Oh, right. There's one named Chelsea. Who knew? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think it's um, it's a new culture. The reports out of the, the camps, at least the stuff I've been reading, is like really exciting. Um, I think there's just so much talent. With the new signings, both the defense, there's just so much, and there's so much talent in the midfield and up front. Um, that you know, the Premier League is, is better when when Arsenal are, you know, when they're back at their best, and I, I'm really excited. So, kind of on that note, segueing up into another team that's going to have a, you know, a supposed different culture this season is Chelsea. Uh, of course, firing Antonio Conte and bringing in Maurizio Sarri from Napoli, uh, and of course the the prevailing thought is that there's this change is going to bring out a a, a a put it, let me put it this way, a different brand of football than we've been seeing under the last couple managers at Chelsea that have won titles, namely, uh, oh, I don't know, Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte, two managers who are very much defend first, play on the counter. Uh, but Sarri is very much play on the front foot kind of manager, and it, it it's a different one. It's a difficult one to call at Chelsea because they won't have the Champions League this year, finishing just outside the top four. But the new manager and the signings and this kind of, you know. There were reports that the dressing room, Conte just lost it, and there's everything was up in the air. But I think a new manager with a different style and a player like Jorginho, who he brought from Napoli, uh, is going to go a long way. Uh, but, Willie, I want to let you take the lead on Chelsea, seeing as you are a Chelsea fan, um, and what this season kind of looks like from you from both the transfer side and just the general outlook for the season. Yeah, in terms of um, the transfer side, um, I think that Jorginho is a – you know, a really good signing. The the pass master, uh, I guess they call him, because he always, you know, he he's always active on the ball. He's completing passes. He really sets the pace for the team. And I think that um, him in a midfield three, with along with N'Golo Conte and whatever other midfielder they put, uh, Chelsea has so many options. Um, I, I think that he's going to be one of the better players in the in the Premier midfielders in the Premier League this season. Um, so I'm very excited to watch him. Um, in terms of the how I think Chelsea is going to be. Uh, I think that there's a couple issues that they need to address. They really need to... We, we're going to have to see what we get out of the center forwards because Morata had a kind of an up-and-down season last year, and Chelsea has an abundance of wingers, but 
Um, him or Olivier Giroud are going to need to constantly produce. And then also the back line with the high line that Sarri is playing. Um, I'd like to see Chelsea, you know, there are rumors that they're getting their center back. I'd like to get another center back to go along with Rudiger. Um, and the transition from a, a defensive three uh, to a defensive four is going to take time. Um, but I think that after a little adjustment period, uh, if they can work out some of those questions, Chelsea uh, should uh, could have a really great season. Good season. Not title contenders, but top four, certainly. So you think it'd be too much to expect Chelsea to contend for a title this season? Yeah, I, I think that the, it's going to take a little... And you've seen it even in the preseason. It's going to take a little time, uh, a month or two, for them to... You know, Sarri famously said when he uh, first took over Napoli... He's like, you, you, uh, I might lose all my first seven games, you know. So it's it's, it's going to take a month or two for Chelsea to really, I think, get the ball rolling and some of their guys to return from the World Cup. There's some fluctuation there, but um, yeah, I, I, I think that um, they should be playing well by the end of the season. But I think it's too much to ask for them to really contend this year. Uh, I want to ask you about Hazard, and I know it's a really tough question for a Chelsea fan uh, because he has been one of your more, more consistent players, one of your better players of the last few seasons. Uh, last year, not the greatest, but he really had a solid World Cup. Does he stay or does he go? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think um, uh, if, with, with the way that things were, I would have thought that if we didn't make a manager change that he would have left. But I think this is a kind of situation where, you know, Hazard uh, expressed the kind of football he likes to play, and Sari is going to say to him, um, you know, give me just, give me some time to show you the kind of soccer uh, we can play. So I think he's going to give Sari a chance, and if Chelsea does well this season, I think he'll stay. Um, if not, I think he'll leave. But, um, ha- yeah, Hazard's obviously the key to our team. We've got... A lot of talented players uh, in the midfield and up top, but you know, without Hazard, this is a completely different team. So we need him. And on the other side of that, Courtois, does he stay or does he go? Yeah, um, that that's another tough one. Um, I, I certainly hope he stays. To be honest with you, um, I think that he's going to leave. And um, if he does, that's going to hurt because, you know, as it is, you know, Chelsea's really going to have – the way Sorry plays, you know, uh, you, you need to – it's risky. So um, I think he, he will eventually leave. And, again, I, I think that's a huge – I mean, he played so well at the World Cup. That's a huge loss if he leaves. Yeah, I mean, Courtois is definitely gone, right? I mean, you guys had the big star signing of the summer and bringing Robert Green to Chelsea. Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, my God. <laughs> He, he's a world beater. We're world, we're world beaters with Robert Green and Caballero, you know. Yeah, he he had his uh his guy. I, I mean, I, Willie, you and I talked about this in a previous show, but this was the first World Cup that I remember where goalkeeping errors have been so prominent, and just it's not just one goalkeeper as well. It's across the board. I mean, you think of keepers like David de Gea, who had just an awful World Cup. Uh, Courtois was really good, but at the same time, you had other keepers like Caballero who were really bad, and Fernando Muslera for Uruguay who were also also made a critical mistake. And it it's weird keepers. It's a weird position because you could do nothing for ninety minutes, and the ninety first minute, the first minute of stoppage time, concede twice, it, right? You know, and and not have to do anything after that. So it's 
it's goalkeeping is so weird. It's I, I can't understand goalkeepers. And it's funny because actually for the intramural soccer team that I play on, I played keeper and it's it's not it's not pretty. So thank God it's just intramural. Are, are you gonna sign for Chelsea? Yeah, uh, they should shouldn't let you do that. Yeah. Are you gonna sign for Chelsea? Well free transfer though. It has to be yeah, free yeah, well, I mean I would hope so. I do actually though wanna quickly uh, I I wanna ask you guys what your thoughts are because I think this is really interesting. So there's a couple interesting um, players. You know, it reminded me because we're talking about Jack Wilshere. Number one uh, of the two, um, Ross Barkley. Um, he seems to be the third preferred midfielder there, judging by the preseason. I'm sorry. Um, and this is a guy that, um, you know, he needs to get rid of the ball faster. But when he's healthy, um, is a really talented young player. So I'm curious, are you, are you guys excited to watch potentially Ross Barkley have a resurgent season? No jinx. I think, uh, I mean, Ross Barkley is a you know, quality midfielder. He's good with the ball at his feet. He was Everton, one of Everton's better players, but kind of almost yep. similar to Drinkwater's situation. Yep. By Chelsea for depth and, and almost very rarely saw the pitch, um, especially in the Premier League. I, you know, I definitely think that, especially paired with Conte and Jorginho, he brings something that the those two players lack in you know kind of dribbling on the ball skills I think yep with Jorginho being more of a passer Conte obviously yep. excellent tackler and recycler of possession um, I think all three of them do pair really well so I can understand why Sari's looking at that um, the weird thing man is that you know with Sari coming in kind of so late in the summer um, I think he's still figuring things out right he's learning the league he's learning the players um, yep so I think almost similar to Emery, you guys could end up seeing some players who maybe didn't get a lot of looks or were underachieving in Conte and Conte's system doing well under Sarri's system because as Owen mentioned, they have, they have, they have different philosophies in how to play, right? And they, and they certainly play with different formations. So, you know, we could see, we could see Ross Barkley coming back. I think, um, I think Hazard will probably be back to his best, especially if Giroud plays more than Murata. I think uh, yep. Giroud is the okay. best forward to play alongside Hazard. Okay. So I would say that, uh, you know, as much as I hate it to say it, I do think that Chelsea will probably have a better season this season. Wow, okay. That's, that's good to know. No jinx. I am um, playing yeah. second um, because, as you mentioned, Sarri is notoriously um, open about being kind of a slow starter and needing time to implement his system. So. Right. We'll visit you guys early on in the season and hopefully uh, get some points that we need before Sorry can get the ball rolling. No, for sure. Uh, and like you said, Ross Barkley, he likes to play. They're kind of playing him in more, a little bit more of an advanced position, letting Conte and um, kind of obviously sit deeper. And so uh, it'll be really nice to see him uh, and whoever of that Fabregas, Drinkwater, Bakayoko, or whoever plays there. But the other guy that I really want to put the spotlight on, and I think that this – I actually think that this guy's going to have a breakout season. We're talking of what August fifth, what sixth, whatever it is right now. But Pedro Rodriguez, uh, uh, his spot is coming under threat because of Hudson Odoi and the way he's been playing in the preseason, and obviously you have Willian that overtook him. But um, Sari has expressed his admiration for Pedro, and two seasons ago he had, he had twelve goals and thirteen assists, and I think this is the year finally in the system. Well, we're going to see the Pedro. I, I'm hopeful that we're going to see the Pedro that we saw kind of at Barcelona in instance. And so they have a lot of depth there. But um, with Pe- 
Pedro could be flying on the wing. I, I, that's my prediction. Hmm. I mean, I think that's a pretty big call just for the fact that he's he's already been at Chelsea for, I believe, a couple seasons now, and it, it, it just feels like he hasn't really... He hasn't really shown signs of getting back to that. Now, obviously, with with the you know with the change in manager, he could. But I honestly wouldn't be as optimistic about his chances. Now, I, I would I would look at a player like Hazard or Willian if he stays, or if if both of them stay, uh, to to have bigger seasons. But it's you know it's not out of nowhere to think Pedro could have a big season. But I just wouldn't have my hopes as high as maybe yours. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll see. You know, there's so much competition. I, I mean, Chelsea has so many, like I said, surplus of guys that somebody's going to have to move because surely all these guys aren't going to want to sit. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. So moving on, unless you have any final thoughts on, on Chelsea, Willie. Uh, there's one thing I wanted to mention, actually, just because Chelsea's a highlight of this new issue that we're facing, um, is that the Premier League transfer window is closed closing before the start of the season now, right? And typically it used to close on August 31st. And so if you have a situation where, you know, we like Premier League teams can still sell their players abroad because those transfer windows haven't closed yet, but they cannot buy players um, and bring them in once the transfer window has closed. So essentially you could be in this situation where if Hazard goes or Courtois goes kind of after the start of the season, but before that August 31st date that the rest of the leagues are on, you, you, you would be in the situation where you just essentially have to pocket the money until January and make do with what you have. Um, and so I don't think Chelsea would let themselves get into that position. So I think that, you know, given how close it is to the start of the season, if they're going to sell, they'll sell soon and try to get a replacement in. But, you know, if some massive bid comes along from Real Madrid and, you know, August 20th or something like that, you might be riding without Hazard or riding with Caballero for six months. Yeah, no. I, I mean, I hope that I hope that doesn't happen. You know, if they leave, but yeah, it, it's 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 great you bring that up because it's an issue, and, and like you said, it's going to come right down to the start of the season. And and in the case of of Eden Hazard, for example, the reports are you know he's just getting back from the World Cup and he's going to talk with Sari and and make a decision. So it's like we we honestly don't know, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, something to watch. And, and even when trying to plan when to do this podcast, we were talking about dates that work best and, you know, do it before the transfer window. Obviously, it, there's still four days left uh, or do it after the transfer window. I'm sorry. But that'd be obviously after the start of the season. And then with the rest of the European clubs, transfer windows being open until August 31st, it creates this really weird dynamic. So something to watch for at Chelsea for sure. But I want to move on to Liverpool, not because I'm a Liverpool fan, but just because we have to talk about the rest of the top four or the top six, excuse me. Uh, and so Willie was with me uh, when we watched the Champions League final, and uh, it was going well for you know fifty odd minutes. It scoreless for the first half. Um, obviously, losing Mohamed Salah to a uh, MMA style tackle by Sergio Ramos was disappointing, and of course you know it had to be Ramos and and whatnot. Uh, and then Karius makes his uh, his couple mistakes, and at that point, it's you know all that hope from what was a good Champions League run uh, just faded away in in the span of minutes. And then along comes Allison uh, from Roma. That's a girl's name. <laughs> along comes Allison for Roma for sixty five million pounds to supplement the two other big signings so far in the window uh, with Nabi Keita. The agreement we talked about last summer. Um, 
coming into effect on July 1st of this year, signing from Leipzig uh, and Fabinho from Monaco for just about 40 million pounds. Uh, the other main transfer Liverpool made, uh, really the only incoming transfer, uh, was the signing of Jared Jakiri from relegated Stoke City. Um, and all of those, to me, are exactly what I would have expected from this transfer window. Uh, I wasn't expecting to spend that much money on a goalkeeper. Uh, I, I was expecting someone around the £30 million threshold, someone not as good as Allison. Uh, but clearly Klopp and Michael Edwards, the sporting director, had other ideas. And now there is a simultaneous reason to be optimistic at Liverpool, but also a caution knowing that it is Liverpool. They haven't won a trophy since 2012, and they haven't won the league since 1990. So I'm very hesitant to have my hopes as high as they are. Like I- I'm definitely hoping for the best, but expecting the worst to come from this season. Um, I will say, though, uh, last year when Kita, when the signing was announced that Kita would move this summer... Uh, Klopp was getting a lot of calls from sporting directors and coaches and execs from different clubs in Germany saying, oh my God, that's that's an incredible signing for you. And that's that's not an exaggeration, I think. Kita had a terrific season for Leipzig last year. Uh, this year, it was a little more inconsistent. Uh, he found himself in, in the referee's book a lot more than he, I think, should have. But at the same time, the player with that kind of willingness to get stuck in and the attacking flair he possesses as well. It's I, I'm just excited about what this this year looks like, but I'm also very very cautious about how high my expectations are. Um, and I know we've talked about this early in the show. I think Nikki mentioned that they potentially could win the league this year, but I I would not go that far at least until I've seen them play in the Premier League. How do you expect your midfield to line up? Right, I think Fabinho is probably at least for me your most exciting signing kind of being the traditional destroyer defensive midfielder. Um, I mean, we've talked about this before, but Jordan Henderson being, you know, a lot of the times your deepest lying midfielder, he's not a defensive midfielder. He'll put in tackles where he can, but similar to Jaka, um, just because you're the deepest lying midfielder doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you know, a defensive mid. Right. And so he, you know, to have someone like Fabinho there who's going to sit in front of the defense and really actually defend, break up attacks, it could prevent some of those, you know, classic Liverpool losses and draws where you guys may have been the better side, but, you know, with some inconsistency in the finishing or with letting in a couple stupid goals from a mid-table club, end up losing or drawing games that you really shouldn't. And that, I think, could be the difference between, you know, winning and losing the league yeah and and the weird thing is especially with the Fabinho signing is Liverpool under Klopp don't play with that midfield destroyer so it's going to be really interesting to see how he adapts and even since he signed Klopp has been talking about number one Fabinho's versatility um him playing as a as a six as an eight and also as a right back um but also the fact that he has to adjust to a new system because at Monaco he he literally just sat in front of the back four and was that midfield destroyer but Liverpool don't exactly play that way under Klopp, so it's going to be interesting to see if he tries to adapt his game too much to fit what Liverpool do, or he's just going to try to, you know, or if Klopp is going to mold his tactics not completely around that, but je- definitely adjust the defensive half of it and and kind of compensate for, for having that defensive midfielder. So it's, it's weird because Klopp doesn't play that way, but we also haven't had a player like that 
in a long time. I think even when Emre Chan was acted as a defensive midfielder, he wasn't a true defensive midfielder. So it's this is kind of a weird situation. It's, like, it's kind of the first time we've had this in a while, but I'm actually excited to see how, how it slots in. But yeah, I, I think going back to your original question, Nick, I think he would... He would slot right in as a number six in front of a combination of Van Dyke or Matip or Lovren. Lovren actually just came back from, or I think he's still uh, on vacation. He hasn't come back yet from the World Cup. Um, Mignolet and Henderson came back today, so he's probably not due back for a little while. Um, so obviously you know what the back four is going to look like with Robertson and Alexander-Arnold on the left and right. Van Dyke and Matip or Lovren when he comes back or Klavan if Matip can't play. Uh, and then the midfield, uh, Kita obviously picks it. Kita, Fabinho, they pick themselves. It's that third midfield spot that I think was going to be the really tough one because, at you know, if everyone's fully fit and all things equal, if you have the entire squad to pick from, you want to be able to pick someone like Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain who's going to be out the entire year, unfortunately. But you can't. But at the same time, you also can't leave out Jordan Henderson because he's your captain. And he he brings this leadership that you don't really talk about other players having. I mean, certainly Van Dyke could be a leader. I think he should be captain, but that's my personal opinion. I don't know where it comes from. Mane could be captain. Firmino could be captain. It's it's one of those things where you hate to leave off Henderson because he's the captain, but at the same time, does he have to be the captain? So I don't know. For me, in my ideal situation, I'd have actually one of Oxlade-Chamberlain or Wijnaldum at that third midfield spot next to Keita and Fabinho. And then the front three obviously picks itself with Salah and Mane and Firmino, who are just, they just scored goals for fun in the Champions League last year. And, and Salah just, he broke the record for single season goals, uh, in, or single season, 38 game season goals with 32, which, I, I, unbelievable season. Those players, I mean, you know, you run into an injury issue. A lot of them can slot around in that front three, right? Salah can kind of play up top if he needs to, um, or he can play at the inside forward position with Firmino. And then obviously you got Lallana as some yeah. there. He's got some injuries. Daniel, Daniel Sturridge is back. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's one of those things where outside of the first eleven, there's more depth than we've seen, and that's not that's without even mentioning Shakiri, who's who we signed over. Uh, who we signed to to add depth to the squad. And in, in the event that one of the front three can't play, he can slot right in. He can play basically underneath the front three as kind of a number 10 or on the right wing we've seen with Stoke or even through the middle. I mean, he, he basically was a like-for-like substitution in yesterday's friendly with Napoli uh, with Firmino. So he he basically slotted in in as kind of your false number nine. Uh, and And I think from what I saw played really well. Yeah, no, I mean it, it's that that attacking um, trio. Whoever they put they put in there is going to be um, so fun to watch. But I'm curious, can you just to, to backtrack a little bit? Can you because I've seen limited footage of Keita, but can you talk about the kind of player that he is and what you expect from him? He he's basically your prototypical box to box midfielder with the the motor and the work rate of a Conte um, and the attacking ability of, uh, I don't want to go as far as to say Salah, um, but he's he's a very good attacking midfielder. Um, wow. So he, I, I'm not saying he's as good as Salah at all, but he's a very solid attacking player um, and, and he's 
I mean, he's younger than me, which which shows you that he's um, obviously got a lot of potential. And if he's moving to a club at Liverpool at my age, a club so, like Liverpool at my age, so he's going to be able to get four and then and be a playmaker for them. exactly. Yeah, he he's not going to fill the the void left by Coutinho because obviously Coutinho is a world class attacking player, um, but he's going to help at least. Um, Klopp talks about a lot uh, the you know the sum of the parts as opposed to one player uh, individually. And that was obviously a big thing when we lost Coutinho and didn't sign a replacement in that in that winter window, but I think Keats is going to go a long way to filling that that um, that void. And and even the preseason, Daniel Sturridge just talked about the effect of Nabi Keita and what what he's brought in an attacking sense, uh, and and he's just gotten rave reviews from from a lot of pundits. And and I think he he brings a lot more to the attacking side of the game than a lot of people realize. I think people might just understand him to be this kind of ball winning center mid um but he he can he can go forward as well and and score some goals and and create for his teammates as well oh it's i'm i'm very excited uh to watch him now and the other thing is i i want to just backtrack to one other thing you said who is going to be the second center back beside van dyke which of those three so because I, that that's the weak link in the team right now um i i don't know if i disagree but i don't know if i agree with that i think there's you know next to van next to van dyke we saw a really promising partnership with lovren uh, lovren again had a really solid world cup with croatia but at the same time when he has that extended leave he hasn't had a preseason so it, it, I, I don't want to say that he's going to be slotted right back into the first team when he comes back because he hasn't been fit for a while um and also the fact that i personally would prefer matip to play next to van dyke um, obviously, okay. both of them. I think Matip is about six five, Van Dyke's about six four, maybe six five as well. So that's two st- big, solid center backs. Um, Matip not as good as the, in the air as Van Dyke, but I, I think that that presents a lot better of a combination than Lovren because uh, of those two, Matip does like to get forward a little bit uh, and dribble out the back, and Van Dyke kind of sits at home when he doesn't do a little bit of the same. So I think it's a it's a good foil. Obviously, the partnership worked last season, and Matip was out from I think mid April to the end of the season. Um, but my first choice uh, pairing would be Van Dyke and Matip, even though he and Lovren played really well this season or last season. Okay, I'm yeah, I'm very I'm very interested. Yeah, because you know Liverpool have you know knock on wood, but they have a lot a lot of the parts, and you know I think that. That defense with not only with Fabinho in the midfield, but the defense and and Allison and in goal. I mean, they really strengthen their squad. Um, and for what it's worth, I think the also the one of the the Robbies back to NBC shout out um, said that they think Allison could be worth as much as eight to ten points on the table. Yeah, I, I I heard that so, as well from their their preview podcast. They talked about yeah, that that kind of thing. It's yeah. it's eight to ten points potentially. Yeah. Um, the only thing I'd say is that. Uh, it's one thing when you come to Anfield as a visiting player like Alisson did in uh, April with Roma, and it's another to be a, a home player, but he did not play well against Liverpool uh, when in that first leg of the Champions League. Uh, he, right. he just did not, by any stretch of the imagination, play well. And I think there's this, you know, I don't want to say uncertainty from me, but I, I think it's just I want to wait to see more of him to really make a call on, you know, is this... You know, you would think after spending sixty-five million pounds, this is the guy, but it's it's a completely different animal in England. So, 
Um, but he, he played well yesterday for what it's worth, made a good save. His distribution was on point, um, like most modern goalkeepers. That's kind that's of their good. thing, be good with the ball at your feet. And uh, we'll see where it goes. But I'm definitely, to kind of put a, a tie on this before we get to, um, I think, our – uh, combined least favorite team of the top six in Spurs. Um, <laughs> I want to say I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about Liverpool's chances this season, but I would not be surprised if we fall flat uh, in in a big game or drop a point, a la Chris Stanbull in uh, 2014. So, you I, I'm anxious for the start of the season, but I'm also very excited. So that that's kind of sums up what I'm thinking for the whole season. I have been rambling way too much about Liverpool, so let's get on to Spurs. Uh, we can all collectively say Spurs have done no business, because that's a fact, and their outlook should be, uh, honestly, top six. I don't think top four is is all that... Uh, I mean, they should be aiming for titles with that squad now, and obviously Pochettino's had a few years, but I, they haven't brought anyone in, and there's four days left in the window. Yeah. I mean, the top- yeah. go, go ahead, go ahead. If the top six is an arms race, I mean, they're, you know, dropping behind just by doing nothing. So you can't say that anybody else has, has done as poorly this offseason. They can't expect themselves to miraculously get better to the tune of everybody else actually tangibly improving their squad. You know, you can... And there, there's also rumors about uh, Alderweireld, right, leaving to uh, Manchester United. Yeah. But then again, Manchester United have had a terrible preseason as well, and they haven't really signed anyone besides Fred, and he got hurt pretty much right after he signed. So uh, it's a weird – those two are really weird clubs to look at at this point. But back to Spurs. I would say you know, they have a young squad, so you know, they're going to get better just from having an additional preseason and working together. That being said, I mean, you could tell Pochettino – has had some comments in the media that make it seem like he's losing at least a little bit of faith in you know the amount of quote unquote financial support or whatever you want to call it he's going to get from the board. That being said, he did sign a contract extension. They're going through the whole thing with the stadium and not having a ton of money, so I'm not surprised they haven't signed anyone. But as you mentioned, uh, it would be weird to lose Alderweireld and not add anybody simply because I mean I know. Eric Dyer can play can play center back. He's typically a defensive midfielder, but you know if you're you basically have Bertongen and Sanchez, and if one of them goes down, you're pulling your defensive midfielder and you're putting him in the back four. Or if you ever want to play a back five, you're pulling your defensive midfielder and putting him in the back five. And you know, I it you, you seem like you it seems like you'd want more than just two true center backs, right, in the squad. Uh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Keep going on. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say this felt like the problem Liverpool had last season at the start before uh, um, before the start of the season. There was all obviously all the speculation about whether or not they're going to get Van Dijk, and then they released that embarrassing statement in early June that says uh, we're not going to sign Van Dijk uh, in this window because we illegally approached him or something along those lines. And it was just embarrassing. And Klopp didn't sign any other centre-backs. He just went ahead with, uh, with Gomez and... Uh, Klavan and Matip and Lovren and the issue was Gomez had to fill in at right back so essentially you got left with three center backs for that entire season until uh, until January and there were points in the season where Genie Wijnaldum was playing center back and Ray Sean was playing center back so if you're thinking about it from a Spurs perspective and you're going in with that same problem and one person gets hurt you are looking at two or three players filling 
two positions in games or in situations where you may have three games in a week, which it does not look good. Yeah, and you know there. I think there's also been talk about um, like even Danny Rose missed a lot of time, and he's another guy that could maybe jump ship at some point. So well, yeah, there, there's a lot of. It's almost astonishing to you know, like granted they did you know they are opening a new stadium, so maybe that restricts some funds. But to think about a, a such a young team that for the past two seasons um, has really been you know right near the top of the table. Um, to see this is, is yeah, it, it's it's sad. I, I think if I was a, a Spurs fan, I'd be really disappointed. Pray for relegation. <laughs> that's, that's how I feel about Everton, but also kind of about Spurs as well, which is why I don't want to spend too much time talking about Spurs. I think Willie is the only person in this, in this uh, group of guys on the show who does not have a strong dislike for Tottenham, to put it lightly. Yeah, Will's uh, being far too easy on his London rivals here, man. Um, you know, oh. you gotta, you gotta have a little bit of hatred. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, uh, at least you didn't pick Fulham as your uh, oh. newly promoted side to watch. Oh. Well, you know, Crystal Palace is my other London team. Oh, I remember that last season we did, uh, when we did this preview, Willie picked Crystal Palace to be kind of a dark horse finish, maybe top half, and they lost their, what was it, first five or six games? Hey, they, they, in the end, they did well. But yeah, they, in the they end, after, after bringing in yeah, good old so Roy wrong. Hodson. But. Yeah, because I talked about DeBoer. I was so wrong about that. They were, uh, they were not good to start the season last year. But anyways, um, any last thoughts on Spurs? They haven't done anything so far. Obviously, there's four days left in the window, so they could still make a signing, but it doesn't look great for them. And I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they dropped out of the top four. I'm saying it right now. Yeah, I mean, you, know, you, can, you can build a fancier toilet bowl for it. Shite is still shite. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so... Uh, this one is also a tough one for me to talk about. I mean, I feel like every time I talk about Everton, Spurs, and United, I, I, I can't really say that much because it's all very biased against them. So, but objectively, it's just been a bad preseason for United. I mean, they haven't, there was one game, their formation was all over the place. There was about 40 yards of space. It was about a 40 by 50 yard gap of space in the middle of the pitch, which is just, I mean, even I know that's awful and I'm not a great tactical mind. Um, they haven't brought in any transfers besides Fred, and it's just it's not looking great for Mourinho. I mean, has he has he lost the dressing room? Is it is there something going on behind the scenes we don't know about? It it just for United it has not looked good. I just yeah like this old school approach. I mean you know it's just oh and we sometimes talk about this on our podcast, but it just gets like kind of worse by the. You know, and granted, we, we want to see them from the field, but just from what we can, just as public comments, you know, it's like one week he's talking about Paul Pogba, then he's talking about Anthony Martial, then he's saying the young players aren't good, then he's saying that, you know, the this team that's, you know, these in the preseason, you know, these aren't the guys that are going to be playing, um, you know, come the season time. So, yeah, I mean, I think that Mourinho, he needs to, who knows, like maybe they're going to, you know, he's going to – maybe this is a classic – maybe this is Mourinho trying to get the media against him so, you know, he gets players to run through a wall for him and it's that us-against-the-world mentality. Maybe he's really clever there. Or maybe he's just out of touch with how to communicate with man management. 
And I think that that's a legitimate question to ask because, you know, the man management between um, Jose Mourinho and several of the players, um, if you start to hear rumblings of, of their discontent, you know, Mourinho could be gone. I mean, I would say it's the latter considering you just look at his track record of losing dressing rooms after the second or third season. Yep, yep. I, I don't feel like him going out in the media and berating his players is going to be what gets them to run through walls. I mean, if you just look back on like all the nonsense he said about Luke Shaw, I mean, some of it was just like shameful for a manager to say about his player. And, you know, whenever Shaw had a good performance, you would say, oh, it's just because he was next to me on the touchline and I could tell him what to do. And I was telling him what to do like he was a FIFA player and I had the controller. It's just like, dude, like... Right. If you're going to slag them off when they have poor performances and then they have a good performance and you're just crediting yourself for that, like, you know, you wonder why you lose dressing rooms, right? And it's like, my understanding, I'm not a United fan, obviously, but my understanding is that the United fans are even kind of losing patience with him and just the brand of football that he plays. It's ugly. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the star attacking players play worse under him. Sure, he's made Phil Jones look like a competent center back and smalling, but like, you know, you just even look at like what happened to Mikatarian, goes to United, looks terrible, yeah. comes back to Arsenal where he can play some real attacking football, looks like the old Mikatarian. Martial's been floundering, he wants out. Alexi Sanchez, I mean, glad that he sucks at United, but it's just another case of Mourinho kind of killing a good attacking player. I mean, how many times is like, you just look at some of the best players in the world between Sala and De Bruyne right now. Um, you know, he's just, he's just known for killing attacking potential a lot of the time. And so Paul Pogba. Pogba is, uh, I mean, like I've even heard rumors of Pogba wanting to go to Barcelona or Barcelona wanting Pogba and him potentially exiting, even though he's typical, probably, albeit inconsistent at times, one of their better players. Yep. It's just, you know, it, it's. I think it's frustrating for United fans, which is awesome. Um, but, you know, more so I do think that this, this season is, you know, if you look at the track record, the season where Mourinho may or may not uh, end up being sacked, which I'm yeah. happy to see. Yeah, and, and it, it's one. It'd be one of those things. Sorry, Will. It'd be one of those things that it's not unexpected at all because obviously we brought up his track record in the past, and it, it it hasn't been good. And the one thing I did want to mention real quick is that with with Mourinho, it's this pattern of first season figuring out what to do, second season adjusting. Uh, yeah, this is this is the one. We've, we've done everything. We win the title. Yep. Third season, lose the dressing room, get sacked. And it's one of those things where it's – I mean, they brought him in to win trophies, and he's won three trophies as manager of Manchester United. The Europa League, which in, in credit to him got United back into the Champions League. Uh, the – what is it? The Carabao Cup – now at this point and the uh and the fa cup i believe uh no sorry not the fa cup the uh the community shield which they some for some reason united fans are counting as a trophy exactly so so it's it's quote unquote three trophies really essentially two and the football's just ugly it's it's classic Mourinho football and it's it's sucking the life out of the attacking players and it's it's not getting results so it's it's this cyclical 
problem for United because they tried Moyes, that didn't work. They tried Van Hall, that didn't work. This was supposed to be the guy for them to bring them back to a, a, a shred of what they were under Alex Ferguson, under Sir Alex Ferguson, and it just hasn't worked out that way, which you hate to see. You, you just you hate to see it. That's just true, and and I just want to say, you know, that. One thing that I think is is scary for I think for United fans is when you look at the team right and you could say, you know, oh this is a team that you know plays great defense but they like to counterattack and they've struggled curling goals. But I mean, you know, last season David De Gea masked so many of their walls because it was frankly it was so good. And you know, when you look at um, they had kind of a, a soft underbelly at that defense. And um, I mean, I will say when you look at the a lot of the old Mourinho teams, when you look at, um, you know, Inter, and when you talk about guys like Ricardo Carvalho and Lucio and John Terry, he always had good center backs, and he doesn't have elite center backs right now. I mean, Chris Smalling is okay, um, but he could be better. Phil Jones makes a lot of mistakes. Um, Eric Bai is good, but he can't stay healthy. Victor Lindelof, um, inconsistent player. He doesn't have that elite spine, which the best Mourinho teams have had. Um, which, in, in fairness to him, they do need the strength in that area, I think. But that goes to show that there's all of these attacking players underachieving. And I also think that their defense, you know, if, if De Gea plays like he did in the World Cup, I mean, that defense ain't going to look as good as it did last season. And, and really quickly before we move on to Manchester City, uh, I just want to throw in there the, the, the weirdness of this whole situation. The Manchester Derby was one of those games where you thought, oh, maybe Manchester United have turned a corner under Mourinho. You know, being able to, to show that they can come back from 2-0 down at half to win 3-2 in a game like that. You know, it, it just doesn't seem like that is... that. It feels like more of a blip on the radar now when you take into account everything that's happened to them since that point. I mean, obviously getting knocked out of, of the uh, of the Champions League and then Jose Mourinho going on that whole football <laughs> heritage rant, which I watched the whole thing, mm. was more confused than when I started watching it, which is never a good sign for football press conferences. Uh, and it's just one of those things where you, you can't help but think that if they don't do just ton, just leaps and bounds better than they did in the start of the season uh, or in the first six months of the se- this season the new last season then he's getting he's gonna get tossed first I mean he's already the bookies favorite to get the sack first so it's something wow. something to keep an eye on for sure with Manchester that, that's United. a little high uh, but here's I, the thing I'm not surprised though it's 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 classic Mourinho we've talked about this for the last you know 10 minutes or so it's it's classic Mourinho wow I mean I think though I mean, I guess there is something to be said, though, for the fact that, you know, Man City were so dominant last season, and Liverpool looked to be really strong this year. And so, you know, if Manchester United doesn't start very well, I mean, they could be... I mean, Manchester City won the league last year, I'd argue, in almost the first two months. You know what I mean? So, yeah, like, it, it could be... If things are looking grim, I guess he could get the quick axe. Yeah, and, and speaking of City, that kind of wraps us up to the last team in the top six we're going to talk about um, as we get to the end of the show now. Uh, we've talked about this in the opening, but Mares, their big signing so far. Um, it's nice when you can casually splash $60 million on a squad player. I mean, I don't think he's going to be a first-team player regularly. I think there's too much ahead of him in the form of David Silva and Bernardo Silva. 
um, Kevin De Bruyne as well, and then Leroy Sané on the left. Um, Mares obviously being left-footed, playing a lot on the right. But you know, with Guardiola, you never know he could play him on the left when Sané needs a rest. Um, but it, you know, I just think that they might just have too much again, and they might. They're, you know, I, if I was a betting man, I'd probably put money on them to go back to back, just because they they didn't weaken in any areas. They only looked like they got stronger. And uh, I would have liked to see them, if I was a City fan, which clearly I'm not, um, buy another center back because we talked about it in the opening as well. Otamendi is a red card waiting to happen. Company is always hurt. John Stones isn't great, even though he's really good with the ball at his feet. He's not a great defender. Uh, and I don't know. Laporte is is okay, but they don't have a, a true left-footed left back, which I think they would need. Um, but... You know, it's it's hard to fault a team that was the first to get to 100 points and score as many goals as they did. So, you know, it's it's being very picky at this point to talk about City in a negative light. Yeah, I think the system does well to cover up their deficiencies, right? I mean, they do a great job of the two Spanish P's, right? Pressing and possession. And they win the ball a lot of the time before it even makes it back to you know the center backs and um you know the center backs end up being kind of more there to you know recycle possession and have a safe back pass to where they can rebuild their possession and start attacking than it is like them ending up in a lot of like one-on-one defensive situations um and so you know overall last season i mean you could point to games like i think liverpool sets up in a really good way to take out Manchester City and you saw that multiple times between you know the Premier League loss and then the Champions League matchup but overall they tend to you know do so well and you know dominate possession and win the ball in the midfield that you know any deficiencies on the defensive side get covered up I mean I still would have really liked to see them buy another holding mid though I mean if Fernandinho shows any signs of age or getting hurt um, I think they can need depth there because, you know, you have Gunduan, you have Fabian Delph, Delph can play there. I know he's been playing on the outside. Um, but it's just, you know, Rihad Mahrez is, don't get me wrong, he's a great player. I'm not, maybe he'll end up replacing Sterling in the starting lineup, but I'm just wondering why they bought another one of the same players. This could be a classic, I mean, dare I say it, if, if Manchester City falters at all whether in the champions league or the epl this could be another case of pep guardiola arrogance yeah and i've talked about this a lot uh off offline as as well it's it's one of those things where i think guardiola is is tactically obviously brilliant but sometimes too stubborn for his own his own good um and obviously klopp falls into this category i'd say as well uh where sometimes you know you have to play a certain way and if it's if that doesn't work, then there's no plan B. And that was, you know, what Klopp got criticized for a lot. And I don't think Guardiola gets criticized for it because he's won so many titles, but he is kind of subject to that same thing where if if you're not able to break a team down uh, and if you're not able to win the ball back after you lose possession, then, you know, you don't really get as much of the flack that I think other coaches do. So that's that's one of my personal issues with Guardiola, but I, I think I've talked about that a lot in, in different situations, so I'll refrain from going too far into that. All I'll say is he gets um, not enough flack for situations like that, in my personal opinion. Yeah, and and I mean, I guess it's, it's just interesting because, you know, um, A, we'll see what they do with the Champions League this year. That's the surprise. But also, yeah, just... 
when you look at teams like Chelsea and um, more more so, I guess, the Liverpool, the premier challenger. I mean, Liverpool's got so much depth, depth and like I said, Man City on the back line and the midfields needs more depth, I think, so in the center. Yeah. yeah. But again, with, with City, you're talking about correcting something that was so good last so season. Good. So it's yeah. you know it's hard to be picky, but for sure, if if you, we were fans, which thankfully we're not, uh, we would have to we'd be thinking about. Uh, but that wraps up our our preview of the top six, um, and we, I want to get to this segment of the show in the time we have left, uh, because you know the show is called hot takes only, but I feel like sometimes the takes are, are more lukewarm, and this segment gives us an opportunity to really air out those takes before the end of the show, so there's no kind of room for retaliation or whatnot. Um, and that is our parting thoughts segment. So, um, guys, if you're unfamiliar, we basically just leave out all of our hot takes uh, or the takes we have left that we hadn't, didn't get to in the show um, and just air them out here. So if there's any thoughts you have about anything Premier League related, uh, this is the time and place to do it. These are our parting thoughts. Why don't you start, on? So here's, here's my thing. Um, I'm going to say this right now. Mourinho will be sacked before the end of 2018. I think. Well, are you talking about the calendar year? The calendar year. Season? Yeah. Wow. No, we will not hit New Year's, and he will be gone. Oh my he was, god. He was gone after Halloween in his third season at his his third season That's in his second stint at Chelsea. Because um, I remember that because it was the day it was the game Liverpool won three one at Stamford Bridge, and uh, you know obviously two of those goals goals scored by Coutinho, but you know. That's neither here nor there. But I will say that it hasn't looked good for Manchester United. It looks like more classic Mourinho. With the squad he has, it should be doing uh, – he should be competing for more trophies. Obviously, finishing second in the league is good. But, you know, in the eyes of United fans, maybe not good enough. And that's kind of what comes with being Manchester United manager, which shows you how great Sir Alex Ferguson was at his very peak. So I think I'd say by the end of 2018, Manchester United will have either an interim manager or a completely new manager. Wow, Okay. That's uh, that could certainly happen. So there is there is my first hot take. Keep going. Oh boy, um, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna let you do this one because I, I ran out of hot takes after that first one. Well, okay. Well, um, I mean, I guess um, here's here's my um, hot take. I think that um, well, it's one one of them. Um, and I, I wouldn't even necessarily say it's a hot take, but I think that by um. Give it four or five months in the season after um, w- when February rolls around, we'll be talking about if Raheem Sterling should be sold. Because I think eventually Rihad Mahrez, um, even though they're in multiple competitions, is going to take over his place in the starting lineup. And I think that um, Guardiola was the best thing that happened to him. But um, I think that he's going to go back to earth this season. That's a big call. I mean, I don't disagree. Because I personally don't like Sterling, but that's that's still a pretty big call. I mean, he's obviously very highly rated by the English media, and he brings a lot of talent to the table. The end product is still questionable. He scored a lot of goals this season, but you you think of the way Manchester City play as well. A lot of the goals they score are tap-ins, and he scored a lot of them. He did score some out-of-the-box goals as well that were pretty solid, so I will give him credit for that. But on the whole, his finishing is not good enough. We saw that with England. We saw that uh, with Manchester City at the second half of the season after they kind of established that huge gap at the top of the table. But I I, I don't disagree at all. It's interesting. All right, what's your next one, Owen? Or anyone else who wants to chime in? I, I, got, I got one. All right, let's hear okay. it, Ian. So uh, 
this may not be strictly speaking uh, EPL related take, but I must say, uh, strong candidate for promotion to the championship, Wickham Wanderers. <laughs> you heard it here first. Okay. Wickham Wanderers that's to get promoted spicy. to the championship. That's yeah. uh, that's that's got some heat on it. I don't know. That's uh, I like it. Interesting. It's a good take. Yeah. I think Ozil comes back from his issues with the German national team and the racism that he faced and retiring from the national team and having Aubameyang and Lacazette in front of him and absolutely dominates the assist game. Um, I think we'll have Ozil's best season of all time this season. Wow. Best season of all time. Spicy. Wow. Okay. Oh, I've got – I just had another one. Fellaini is going to set the EPL record for most yellow cards in a single season. (laughs) Because here's the thing. A lot of the speculation over the summer was that United were going to sell Fellaini. He's not going to renew his contract. Guess what? He renewed his contract. And with the way Manchester United are right now, I wouldn't be surprised if he got more playing time. When he plays, he's almost guaranteed a yellow card. So I would not be surprised to see that happen. And you got to love the fact that him signing a contract extension was actually... Uh, a frustrating and disappointing moment for Manchester United fans. Which is so good for the rest of us. Well, when I heard he was potentially up for sale, I mean, I think most of us were like, please not my team, please not my team, please not my team. Because it's just, I mean, he's he's perfect for Mourinho, right? They're both unbearable to watch. They're brands of football, unbearable to watch, huge tools. I mean, they're perfect for each other. Oh, that, without a shadow of a doubt. Oh, uh, for sure. Will, you had something? Yeah. Um, I want to get your guys' thoughts on over-under, or I guess equal to, the number of player coaches between Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard that will be sacked by the end of the season. Oh. So... Lampard taking over at Derby County and Gerard taking over at Rangers. Uh, mm-hmm. You want one of those is going to be sacked? Or both? Yeah. Or none? I think that... I'm going to say none. To put, okay, you know what? If I had to put my gut on it, I think that one of them within two years. I don't. I think that th- those guys are too high profile to get sacked within one year. But like, if they're not performing, I think in the second year they could be ousted. Yeah, no, I think that's a better call. And... and... I don't know. It's it's tough to call because you you know you obviously when you're in kind of the mid tier of English football or in the Scottish league, you, you don't want to be a club that's constantly undergoing changes. At the same time, you you need to survive and perform and get as high up as you can. So it's it's a tough call, but I I I want to say I, I want to say I agree, and I'll say one one of those two might be sacked within two years. Wow. Okay. Hopefully not Steven Gerrard because you know he's That's very true. he's very excited to be the manager of of Rangers. He is a lot, for sure. A lot of new ones sure. playing in the Scottish league though that he's going to have to manage. Yeah. Actually, in playing uh, managing at one of the teams that is in the old firm, you know, between having to perform against Celtic and manage all those weird traditions and biases and hatreds, and you know, on top of that, it is a more high profile team than Derby with with. You know, probably more uh, more expectations that come along with it. Gerard is, I would say, more likely to have issues than Lampard is. Yeah, and just that's a high profile, jo- higher profile job. Well, no, I wouldn't even say that. 
I, I would still agree though that he's more likely to have issues. But here's the final here's the final one, and I, I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. Now I'm not going to bet on it happening because I don't think it will. But what do you guys think the odds are in a percentage that Leicester City will be re- will go from being champions to relegated? Ooh. Be- oh man. Because with the loss of with, listen, with the loss of Mares and. Claude Puel, and I plays this open style. It's not exactly relegation proof. They could lose Harry Maguire, you know. So Harry uh, Maguire. Um, yeah. What do you guys think the odds are of that? Uh, honestly, I say it depends on what Maguire does, but I'm not, you know, freaking out over their chances of getting relegated. After all, Jamie Vardy is having a party. So I, I mean. In all seriousness, um, I, I wouldn't put too much stock into that. Although, you know, we're still five days away from the start of the season, and their first ten games were pretty telling in that sense. But I, I don't think I'd put too much stock into it. Okay, I, I agree, man. I think it's dangerous. They lost Mares. I mean, the replacement is James Madison, who's one of Norwich's better players, but definitely on the young side. He's certainly no proven entity like Mares. I mean. To be fair to them, they did win the Johnny Evans lottery. So <laughs> Evans, uh, I think, was only two million pounds. His release clause was if uh, West wow. relegated, which they did. So um, they picked up Evans, who's experienced. He was on a bad team, and you know, a really poor team can make any center back look bad. But um, you know, I think they all have some depth there. But it, it's just like you know, they. I do think they went down in quality, net net, and they finished fifteenth last season. That being said, right. you know, some. You know, with some drama and the manager situation, so we'll, yes. see, we'll see what happens. But I, I do think, uh, I do think you're right in the sense that they could be potentially at risk here. I mean, it's re- it's really not like they have a ton of attacking talent on that team. Um, yeah. To be fair, to be honest, outside of Jamie Vardy, of course. But even though, even though him, I mean, he he needs. Uh, you know, he likes to play in the counterattack, but he needs he needs someone to set him up. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I remember talking about this when we when we were doing our World Cup uh, post group stage pod. Um, I talked about Timo Werner being a worse version of Jamie Vardy, and I stand by that. They neither one of those two are very good in open play. Um, they're they're very much get in behind, play on the counterattack kind of players. And um, I don't know. I I still I don't know if I'd put too much stock into it, but okay. you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me per se, but I, I don't know if I'd say that's you know unequivocally going to be the case uh, at this point. Yeah, for sure. 15 million pounds into a backup keeper to Schmeichel, right? It's like, is that really where you want to be spending your, your money? When you just yeah. rest, right? It's just like, I some of the decisions, and they just, net-net, they just look like a worse team. Well, one of the one of the things I think with the Ward signing is they're anticipating maybe Schmeichel to leave for Chelsea if Courtois leaves. Um, and I think that's still one of the dominoes because I think Belgium just had their players come back today or around today. So, and you know, with the transfer window ending on on Thursday night, there's there's still you know a lot of question marks to be to be resolved. Yeah, but like we talked about earlier, the, the transfer window ends in you know a week, and so there's not a lot of time to be negotiating sales of players plus you know buying new reinforcements with the money that just got brought in and. You end up in a situation where, you know, God forbid, Cash versus Michael leaves, and then you end up playing Ward at goalkeeper, but you didn't find time to invest the Schmeichel money, and you know now your team is just you know even worse than it is right now. Yeah, well, yeah. they pulled off the great escape once, and I don't know if they could be able to do it with this squad, but you never know. You just never know. Yeah, for sure, it'll be very interesting. Uh, do you guys have any more? 
takes wise? I think uh, I still think Fabinho and Torreira are probably the signings of the season. Just they're going to set their teams up well, and they're shoring up some issues and defensive issues with both their respective sides. I think uh, you know there's been some flashier signings than them, but you know similar to Conte when he signed for Chelsea, I think um, wow, okay, people are going to be people are going to be surprised at, at not only how effective they are in you know their own individual jobs, but what it allows the players around them to do. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That it'll be very interesting. That I mean. So okay. So top four right now. You guys pick right now. I for think... me, I, okay. I guess I'll guys said so I'll say the book. For me, if I had to put money on it, in this order, I think that no jinx. Drum roll. Uh, I think that Liverpool win the title. No. Manchester City finished second. Um, Chelsea finished third, and Tottenham finished fourth. Me being superstitious, I, I keep thinking that the more people think Liverpool is going to win the title, the the lower chances they actually have to win the title. So I don't know. That that's just me personally, but I, that you know, it's a big call. Okay. What about you guys? What do you guys think? I'd love to see Liverpool, City, Arsenal, Chelsea. I think is a reasonable way that this could play out. Wait, say that again. Liverpool, City, Arsenal, Chelsea. Okay. I have the same four, but different order. I have uh, City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal. City, Liverpool, okay. I got City, then Liverpool, then Arsenal, then Chelsea, and then Tottenham, surprise Burnley at six, then United. Fuck them. That's not a terrible pick. I mean... Just to touch on Burnley real quick, they haven't shored up their team as much as you'd expect them to, just given the fact they're going to be playing more games now in the Europa League. But, man, this, has, this season just, you know, it kind of smells like a turmoil at United season that could lead to some poor results. Yeah, I'm, I'm in that same boat, too. I've got uh, City, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool in the top four. And, wow. Okay. You know, you'd obviously expect me to pick Liverpool to win because I did. Uh, I think the last time we did this podcast for this past season, I picked them to win the title. That didn't happen. Uh, and now I'm just not picking them to win the title and hoping the reverse works. Or knowing my luck, I'll pick Liverpool to finish fourth and they'll finish fifth. So you know, <laughs> and uh, and then Klopp would get the sack, which would be the the most ridiculous move in world football. And uh, I think I'd stop being a fan at that point. I don't know. <laughs> Wow. But as you can tell by that take, we're getting a bit delirious recording this show for well over two hours. And I want to I want to let you guys get out of here because we've been unless there's any burning takes you have left that, that need to get uh, need to get some air. Zlatan Ibrahimovic tearing up the MLS. <laughs> Zlatan. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that'll wrap up the show. Um, Ian, Brian and Nick, thank you guys so much for coming on. I know it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a big chunk of time, but really enjoyed having guests on the show and, and you know, chopping it up, talking, talking some EPL starting on Friday when Leicester City visits Old Trafford, and um, should be just a great season ahead. So, thank you guys again for your time, and really appreciate you coming on the show. Of course, yeah, tough man. Thanks yeah. for us. Any anytime you want to bring us on to chat some footy, we're we're here. Awesome. Well, we definitely great. will. Well, for uh, for the five of us. Uh, my co-host Willie, uh, our three guests today. Uh, this has been Hot Takes Only, uh, and we will we will see you all next time. <laughs>